comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. You're listening to the Whedonverse Podcast. A retrospective, spoiler-free podcast where we discuss the movies, series, comics, and games created or inspired by Joss Whedon. With your hosts, Mr. Universe. Number five, do the dance of joy. And the clairvoyant. Well, you're right about this being a bad idea. Also brought to you by the Tangent Bound Network. This episode, we'll discuss Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 1, Episode 9, The Puppet Show, joined by special guest One Sick Puppy from the Dead as Hell Horror Podcast, and Episode 10, Nightmares, also with One Sick Puppy, but joined by his Dead as Hell co-host, Shani Dreadful. The Vampire Slayer, Season 1, Episode 9, The Puppet Show, written by Rob Deshotel and Dean Batali, directed by Ellen S. Pressman, original air date, May 5th, 1997. It's another great week here on the Whedonverse podcast. I am one of your co-hosts and dungeon master, uh, the clairvoyant. I'm joined here with Mr. Universe. A dungeon master. Yeah, just say your bit. Yeah, I'm Mr. Universe, and I'm disappointed to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we are also here uh, with a special guest, back due to popular demand, One Sick Puppy from the Dead as Hell Horror Podcast. Hi, I am buck naked. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we all. Yeah, that's how we usually record these shows, especially uh, ones about such attractive subjects. And it's funny. Puppets make me horny. <laughs> None of us are anywhere near each other right now, but we happen to all be naked. We're we're together in our in our nudity. That's what brings us closer. <laughs> but uh, yeah, today we're doing the Puppet Show, season one, episode nine, which uh, actually I noticed is written by the same duo who wrote "Never Kill a Boy in the First Date," which is One Sick Puppy's uh, favorite episode. Right. He actually wasn't on that episode, but. He had discussed beforehand that he didn't want to do it. Yes. I can't stand him. <laughs> Owen? Owen. I hate Owen with a burning passion. I hate Owen more than I hate Joyce. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure we will get to your hatred of Joyce sooner or later. I don't think it's been discussed on air yet, but Oh well no spoilers then. I hate Joyce. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember if she's in this episode or not. She is, yep. And this is actually the fourth episode with no vampires. Out of uh, nine episodes, there's almost half of them that don't have any vampires. Yeah, it's like you guys don't want me to talk about the dust monkeys. (laughs) (laughs) It's like uh, they're alternating episode about vampires, episode about whatever comes to mind, episode about vampires. Almost. You know, this is a a moment to ask a question I actually thought of tonight. Uh, I was trying to look on Google and find out what order 
the episodes were actually filmed in, and I can't locate that anywhere because for continuity's sake, you know, you would think that the the main story arc episodes were filmed in in sequential order, but that's not always the case, and especially with these, uh, you know, standalone episodes, they very well may have been filmed in some kind of funky order that we're unaware of. Do you guys have any information on that? The only thing I know about the filming order is that the scene where Buffy's in the library with Giles from the first episode saying, it's my first day, I do know that that was the last day of filming season one. Yeah, I did hear that. But uh, I noticed... That's all I know. <laughs> uh, the first scene of the puppet show, uh, they really had a good uh, synergy going. And uh, they seemed really natural. So that made me think, I wonder if that was filmed later on, you know, after they'd been working together for several episodes. So that's, uh, I'd never considered that before. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. We start this episode in a jamming rehearsal for a talent show. After our, in every generation speech, of course, which I point out just because there were two episodes this season that did not have that speech. And so far, those are the only two that haven't had the speech. And I'm not quite sure why. (laughs) And that guy's got a really high-pitched voice. I noticed that tonight. <laughs> In every generation. Yeah. Um, so we have this typical, almost like horror movie-esque... Uh, POV. Yeah, it's a point of view, first-person shot. Um, there's a, a girl doing ballet, and we hear a voice saying, I will be whole, I will be flesh. Um, so sets off the mood right away. We quickly realize that this is a talent show, as there's a lot of people with various things that really there's no other explanation for why they're holding tubas and juggling, <laughs> etc. Yeah. So we quickly cut to Cordelia singing uh, The Greatest Love of All, very off-key, which really, it's not a talent show without that song. Um, yeah, and that's by Whitney Houston. It's not the last time we hear Cordy sing that song, unfortunately. Yeah, that's... It's really bad, too. She's terrible. She's awful singer. I wonder if Charisma Carpenter actually sings that bad. I don't think it's possible. <laughs> it just it feels like the the Love Never Dies style anthem that just is made for high school talent shows. Yeah. So uh, Giles is in the audience. He stops her, to which she exclaims, I didn't get to the part with the sparklers. He's so done with her singing. Giles, Giles is the audience. Yeah, he's yeah, the he's, audience. he is the entire audience, which leads you to believe that this is auditions or rehearsals or something. So, if it's auditions, he's letting everyone through. Uh, it seems like it's rehearsals, and he's the producer, so he has no choice but to sit there in the audience and listen to it all. Yeah. So then Buffy, Xander, and Willow come up and... Uh, we get some some story as to why Giles is here. Uh, the new Fuhrer, uh, Principal Snyder, <laughs> is has has made him do this to communicate with the students, which is something that he's been specifically trying to avoid. That's why he's the librarian. But uh, yeah, that that's <laughs> this is the first mention we get of the new principal after uh, Flutie was eaten back in the pack. Was he the, I wonder, was he the vice principal before? 
and you just became principal, or did they find somebody new? They never, I don't think they mentioned explicitly. They don't, but it almost feels like he's new. Yeah, I want to say they mentioned something about the vice principal earlier in the season, yeah. but they never gave a name. Maybe. And uh, I think we're going to find out uh, later on that maybe he was uh, a choice that was decided upon after the guy got eaten. Yeah. You know, maybe they had to get a tougher sort of principal in there. Yeah, I feel like unrelated to the principal thing, but I feel like every teen drama has a talent show episode or at least an arc. It just feels like like a trope almost for teen drama shows. I think that was the trope before Buffy. And now I think the trope has become something else that we will discuss at a later date. So then we get uh, Buffy, yeah, of course, is making fun of Giles, saying in every generation there is a talentless show. Or born one who must run the talentless show. That's it. And... Uh, Makes a lot of Watcher jokes, really. She says she's going to take on his traditional role and watch instead of participate in the talent show. So then uh, a man, who we do not know yet, but immediately get to realize is the new Fuhrer, Principal Snyder, uh, overhears the Scoobies sort of <laughs> making fun of Giles and his situation and yeah. so punishes them by forcing them to participate. I want to discuss the differences between... Snyder and Flutie, because right off the bat, they're obvious. Uh, He's Armin Shimmerman and not Ken Lerner. Well, that's the most obvious one, yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, I think, I don't know, I feel like Flutie tried to be, connect with the students, but not connect with the students. You know, connect but be disconnected. (laughs) I feel like, well, as we will learn, and it's not a big shock, Snyder doesn't care about the kids at all. He doesn't like them. Well, yeah, you say that, and he, you know, that's how he's portrayed, but I was thinking about this later on in the episode. It seems like if you pay really close attention, there's almost a a deep hidden layer where he does care just a little bit. Because he makes comments all along, you know, in his ribbing that make you think maybe he does care a little bit. I feel he doesn't like them, but he if he didn't care about them, he wouldn't be a high school principal. Yeah, that's a fair. Yeah. yeah. And I like how when they're bugging Giles also, you know, he's technically their superior. They have such a great relationship. They can just bug him and he just takes it and doesn't do anything about it because it's, you know, more than just kids in a librarian. Yeah, Giles isn't going to use his authority over them. It, it doesn't seem like something that he would do. In this particular situation, anyway. You know, if he has to use his authority, I'm sure he will. And I can't think of any specific examples, but I'm sure he does. (laughs) He's not actually there as a librarian. He's there as a watcher, and that's kind of his secret identity. So I don't really think he he considers himself necessarily an authority figure of the school. Yeah. I do like how pleased Giles looks when they are uh, sentenced to participate in the talent show. He looks so smug. <laughs> he, he, it's just such a, like, you got what's coming to your face. Yeah, and, uh, and Snyder even references, he said, Mr. Flutie went for all that touchy-feely nonsense and he was eaten, which is a reference to the pack. Yeah, and he also makes a suicide joke, which I thought was pretty cold-hearted. 
yeah. he lists off several things, you know, the first being suicide that is goes on with that woolly headed thinking. Sorry, I think yeah, who was the it? previous episode when a student was uh killed and made to look like a suicide in never in iRobot Eugene. And also, yeah, he's a spontaneous cheerleader combustion, which is a witch. Yes. So I think he's just referring to previous things that happened. The murder—he says murders, I think, as well, and that's well, it's peppered throughout. <laughs> Practically every episode. So because we've never met Principal Snyder before, and he is a fairly major part of the show, I want to take some time and talk about Armin Shimmerman and where you may know him from. Uh, he's actually in quite a lot of stuff. You've seen him or you've heard his voice. I guarantee it. He's Probably best known for, uh, he's in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I can't remember the character's name. He's a bartender. And no, he... Is, is he a bartender? I thought he was like a, a traitor. I don't like, watch Star Trek. <laughs> I, don't I didn't watch Deep Space Nine. I didn't like it. But I think he was more of a, a vendor. Like a, he's a seller of things. I'm not sure he was a bartender. He see, it seemed I saw a picture of him in something in my mind screen bartender. You may also know his voice. Uh, he's Andrew Ryan from the Bioshock games, and he is various Marvel characters as well. He's been Hobgoblin. He's been Toad. Just the gross villains. Yeah, yeah he's never anything pretty. <laughs> no, he's not. The guy is like ninety percent ears, so <laughs> it's not his fault. <laughs> And so, uh, then we go to the next tryout, which is a boy and his dummy, which we quickly learn are Morgan and Sid. Actually, just before that, we uh, a couple of different acts go on. We find out Xander's afraid of mimes, uh, which is explored later next episode. And also, uh, I noticed that Willow has a weird shirt that has a rubber duck on it, not related, but it, it caught my <laughs> eye. But yeah, we got uh, Jesse Eisenberg comes up with his dummy. Why do you name... Every one-shot character. After a celebrity that they sort of look like. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Morgan and his dummy Sid go on stage. Buffy says that dummies give her the wig. Little wig. Ever, ever since she was little. And there's not really a story there. <laughs> They've just always freaked her out. Yeah, and, uh, Morgan's not a very good ventriloquist. Not at first. No, he has a ridiculously bad act when <laughs> the dummy says, would you like to tell some jokes? He says, would I? And the <laughs> dummy responds, and also a wood nose and a wood mouth, which is absolute garbage. Oh, that's funny now. You're one of those people that hates puns, aren't you? I make a pun at least an episode. I can appreciate puns. That one's garbage. <laughs> oh, come on. I thought you would like that one just because of no. how bad your puns it, are. First, okay, first it took me a second to actually realize what he was saying, and then I got it, and it's not even a groaner. It's just a straight to anger. <laughs> well, if you got somebody to explain the joke to you, it's not funny. Either. No one explained <laughs> the joke to me. So uh, then suddenly his ad gets really good. Uh, when Sid gets a different voice actor. <laughs> I can't remember the voice actor's name, but I do remember he's the narrator for Dog Tanyon and the Muskehounds. What the so, hell is that? Yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> the voice actor of Sid is the narrator for this movie. <laughs> and he's got kind of a sassy, almost, I don't know the accent. 20s gangster? Yeah, gangster-esque accent. 
And he starts making sarcastic jokes about... Uh, it's very meta. He's joking about the act itself. And uh, honestly, it, it get, it's kind of funny then. Like, I would pay to see a... That. <laughs> you know, a dummy making fun of the ventriloquist. That's every act. No, not like Jeff Dunham stuff. Like, the ventriloquist sucks... And so the dummy makes fun of him. Yeah, that's that would be a that's a smart act actually. Yeah, I thought like if you know, there's clearly something up here. But like, damn, that'd be a good ventriloquy act. That's a weird word, ventriloquy. This would be a really good act if it existed, <laughs> if it was real. But uh, later after this, ballerina is putting away her outfit in the locker room. Uh, Emily, the ballerina, not named really yet, but whatever. And she hears a spooky noise. Yeah, and that never bodes well. No, especially not in the locker room alone, which happens yeah. a lot in this show. <laughs> but uh, she, we get a floor a... POV again, some heavy breathing, and it's black and white. Whatever this thing is, can only see in black and white, like a dog. <laughs> and it's all—is anybody there? You know, it's very cheesy horror movie, or any horror movie really. And she is attacked by our uh, our POV monster, who, once again, I will be flesh. And so, at this point, I think you can start making fair assumptions as to the villain of the episode. But we will t- touch on that. <laughs> I think that's a pretty decent opening for an episode. You know, it's not fantastic, but it's got some funnies. It's got some scaries. So, it wasn't bad. Some Wiggins. Yeah. And then we get uh, the... Uh... Title credits after that. So after the title credits, uh, the talent show rehearsals are continuing with a uh, a magician who's terrible. He loses his rabbit. <laughs> so um, then Buffy, Willow, and Xander are debating what they should do for the talent show. They decide a a dramatically acted scene because it doesn't actually require any talent. Yeah, at this point, I want to know, what is that blue thing on Xander's shirt? I didn't notice. It is, it's some weird cartoony-looking thing that is unrecognizable by me. <laughs> I have no idea. Maybe, I, no, I couldn't even feign a guess. I can picture it's, it, but I don't know. It's what very it strange to be on a, a you know, teenage male shirt. It's odd. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> there's a deleted line here where Xander... Suggests that he can burp the alphabet instead of doing a dramatic scene. Uh, when they say that they don't really have any talents, or they have talents, but they can't really show them off, Buffy says, you want me to slay vampires on stage? Willow responds in a funny way. <laughs> um, they talk was... about Willow's uh, musical prowess. <laughs> she admits uh, she has stage fright, though, which is also explored next episode. Yeah, I love the line, you play, not in front of other people. <laughs> and so Sid, our dummy, is watching and making rude comments, to which Buffy threatens to turn him into a Duraflame log. Which is a very strange reference, I thought. <laughs> you know. He's not Duraflame, like, he'd just be a log. <laughs> well, she'd make sure that he never stops burning. <laughs> that seems... Yeah, I don't, that's some strange... Product placement, <laughs> along with Jan Sport, which apparently pays for every episode. Uh, 
but yeah, at first they're complimenting Morgan on his ventriloquism, and then they start getting... he starts going too far, and they all get kind of offended. Yeah, they start getting sick of his act. And so, meanwhile, Snyder is explaining to Giles that he's going to run a safer, more disciplined school than Flutie did, admitting that he does not like kids. Uh, but they're interrupted when the body of Emily, our ballerina, is uh, discovered. Yeah, there's a human death count of one. Someone cut out her heart with a knife. Can't, was it? I can't remember. Was it Cordelia who found the body? I don't think so. No, I think it was a random girl. Okay, because I was going to say, Cordelia has a bad habit of discovering corpses. <laughs> it's always a girl, because then they can get that good scream in that they transition with. <laughs> Yeah, there's no... It was a guy like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> now, that's not attractive. One sec, Puppy, if you, you're a horror movie podcaster. Do you ever see hot horror movies where where the hot guy gets the big... <laughs> I tried to say horror and hot came out. Where the guy gets the big scream. Is there any male scream queens out there? Uh, not that I can think of off the top of my head, but I think if that happens, they're usually portrayed as gay. Yeah, Jesse just Moss. so they can get that high register scream. I'd argue Jesse Moss is a male scream queen, not by screaming, just by uh, his frequent placement in horror movies. <laughs> I don't watch a lot of horror movies, just Canadian ones, so he comes to mind. <laughs> I didn't know they had Canadian horror movies. <laughs> they're not. They're not up to scratch. But. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... I think that Snyder not liking kids is kind of a high school principal trope as well. That the principal doesn't really like kids. That's you know that's been done before. I wonder if he was like a teacher before he was a principal. I don't know how the normal hierarchy goes, but you know, can you just land in a principal or vice principal role, or was he a teacher first or something like that? Because that would be even worse. I think you have to be a teacher first. I'm not sure. But yeah, the evidence. Anyway, back to Emily. Poor Emily. We're just she's dead, and we're talking about Snyder. Uh, the evidence points to a human murderer, which is a first for the sh- well, besides Fritz and I Robot Eugene. <laughs> That's a real first. Yeah, and Willow gets really wigged by this fact, saying that with a human murderer, it could be anyone, even herself. But it's not though. And what's up, Parker? What do you think of that? You are a big fan of Willow. That was an adorable line. Oh, absolutely. So I, I imagine you got a kick out of that one more than the average and, yeah, viewer. In the first season, pretty much every time she pops a line like that, it, <laughs> I really appreciate the fact that they put her in instead of that chick that was in the unaired pilot. And, you know, you kind of forget about it as you go along. But the the production value of the the first season is kind of shaky, so it makes it it's easier to recall that pilot. And I just every time she she her comic timing is just fantastic, and uh, I just really appreciate anything she comes out with like that. It's just I can't imagine what this this show wouldn't have lasted past the first season if they'd used that other chick. Especially since Willow's the constant damsel in distress. <laughs> yeah, she is. But seriously, though, she is a serious bedrock for this show to be built on. Yeah. She's well, just. If, uh, if it was Riff Regan, I feel she doesn't have enough charisma and personality that if she got captured every week, people would really care. <laughs> yeah, I can agree. Or they'd be glad. 
Yeah. Oh, thank God, maybe she'll die this time. <laughs> but uh, they start. They decide to split up and interrogate the different talent show kids. Yeah, Buffy has some chick with a tuba. There's a uh, cut Jeff. line there, actually. Uh, Buffy's talking to the tuba player, and one of the deleted lines, and she says, I've never heard anybody play Flight of the Bumblebees on a tuba before. And the tuba player says, well, it's not for everybody. <laughs> oh, wow. Giles is interrogating that magician from earlier. <laughs> I like his, uh, pick a card. No, not that This not that one, this one. <laughs> uh, Xander is interrogating Cordelia, who says, Emma was, like, my best friend. <laughs> Which... Victim's name was Emily, <laughs> so that's a classic Cordelia not caring line. And she said, I'm just, you know, it could have been me. That's why she's really sad. And Willow is interviewing Carrot Top, the juggler. Carrot Top. Yeah, that's and... a weird-looking dude. <laughs> they should have got the hot dog hero back. Yeah, what would his talent be? Juggling hot dogs. Acting. <laughs> yeah, acting. <laughs> So, uh, everyone's story, except for Cordelia's, seems to point to Morgan as the killer. And then, so Buffy walks in on Morgan and Sid arguing, which is not normal. Yeah, she walks in in the shortest skirt ever. I noted that, too. I said, I, I came to believe at this scene that... This school has no dress codes because I pointed out too many times that I've just thrown out the idea that there ever was a dress code at Sunnydale High. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm staring at her legs the whole time she that scene's going on, just praying she's gonna have to kick somebody in the face. <laughs> I think Sunnydale has bigger problems than dress codes. <laughs> I guess. But Morgan also gets migraines as well, they note. He talks to his dummy and he gets migraines. He just thinks he's creepy. Well, he's play- he's Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, he's not actually played by Jesse Eisenberg. I have- no, he doesn't. He doesn't even look like Jesse. Eisenberg. <laughs> he kind of does, and I have to like give a little note, editor's note, each episode that <laughs> the character that I named after a celebrity isn't actually played by that celebrity. <laughs> I think we called that one guy Adam Baldwin so much you convinced yourself he was Adam Baldwin. He was. <laughs> so uh, this whole scene is kind of suspicious. As Sid, Morgan claims he's practicing throwing his voice, and he's putting Sid away as Sid is still still going, still shooting his mouth. So we're on to you, Morgan. Slash Sid, because it looks like Morgan has nothing to do with this. Yeah, and Morgan even tells Buffy, it's not me doing it, it's him. And he gestures to Sid. Yeah, but you can't believe that, because Jesse Eisenberg is devious. Right? <laughs> <laughs> So then we cut to the Scoobies, and they haven't been named the Scooby Gang yet, have they? No, they haven't. So there's a little spoiler. They're That's fans not a call spoiler. them the Scooby Gang, if you didn't know that already. And we are, well, looks like the clairvoyant just started. Ruined the big surprise. <laughs> the big surprise. They're not <laughs> called the Slayerettes. It did not catch on. <laughs> so uh, we cut to our Slayerettes here. <laughs> Thank you. And... Xander is complaining that someone else has to take Cordy duty next time because they were going to have another organ donor. Which is yeah, let, let me ask you a couple of questions real here. Uh, right when they walk in the library, I notice, and this has bugged me for years, the anti-theft system that they have on the library exit, the, it's missing two pieces because there's no way that that, that theft system could be 
eight feet apart and actually catch people stealing books. And the other thing I wanted to ask is, uh, does the cage in the library come and go? (laughs) No, I'm serious because it seems like some episodes it's right there. Uh, after they they walk in about 20 feet, and then sometimes it seems like it's not there. So am I just confused, or do they actually take that in and out as they need it for the show? You know what I think, actually? I think the cage set is filmed separately from the library one. So if you see a full shot of the library, you can't see it, and you, they're supposed to like not show that. Because I, now that I think about it, it should be on the left side of the library when they walk in, or the right side, depending on which way you're facing. But yeah. it's not always there but they usually when you see the cage it's close-ups of the cage so yeah right that is confusing you heard it here first <laughs> where were we and yeah with the the library security i don't think giles cares <laughs> no one's taking books owen and his his emily uh, dickinson if you yeah, could now just he's, stop saying his name now he's stealing just... books from the library because he's he lives for danger now <laughs> yes, that is probably true. It would be so funny if they just had him just running through the the halls doing something crazy every once in a while. They really just, should have. Oh, that's a missed opportunity. They really that would should've. have been awesome. Even though I hate the guy, that would have been hilarious. Would you like him more if he did that? No, I wouldn't have liked it, but that would have been really funny if he just like run down the hall naked or just scream and you know run up in the camera or something. That'd been funny. The next episode, they're reading the school newspaper, and he climbed the flagpole and fell to his death. Yes. <laughs> That's not an actually thing that happened next episode, by the way. The clairvoyant was joking, speculating that. that this could happen. Well, how do you know? We never see or hear mention of Owen ever again. You have no idea. I guess. What is yeah, happening. he must have done something stupid and died. <laughs> I imagine he, he was really keen on getting in a bar fight for no reason, so... But, uh, yeah, after this, they meet up, they agree that they were all led to Morgan and decide that they better check his locker. Yeah, so then Buffy is breaking into Morgan's locker, and this is, um, this is not necessary. <laughs> Willow acquires the code for his locker. She starts putting it in, and then she just pounds it and breaks the lock. <laughs> permanently and i don't know if you guys notice she says two to the left three to the right but she's she goes right and then left so she's not even trying to put in the code unless they filmed it and then flipped the film well my gps says left when it means right and vice versa well i don't think buffy is inhabiting your gps <laughs> system but uh yeah principal snyder stops her breaking into morgan's locker he thinks there's something up with her he's not trusting her and he, he informs her that he does not tolerate loitering, cutting out hearts, and smoking. It's yeah, a, see, the smoking. That, this was actually where I made note of that. The, the smoking makes me think he cares. That's, that's a, okay. I can see that. And the cutting out hearts as well. Yeah. Well, he doesn't should, want students to die. Maybe he doesn't want to clean up. <laughs> yeah, but uh, we see that Snyder has a superpower, which is appearing out of thin air yeah <laughs> but uh whenever they're doing something that looks suspicious yeah he's just there he doesn't walk up they don't see him coming he just pops up <laughs> and uh yeah buffy finds nothing in morgan's dummy case but he's he's peeking in a classroom nearby at her with the puppet 
Morgan is rather. Morgan with Sid. Yeah, and Snyder is standing right there by the locker door and doesn't notice that she destroyed it. <laughs> yeah. Well, she. I noticed that she does quickly like put her back to it when he walks up. Like, do do not look. Uh, and then, yeah, we have a little more villainous Sid and Morgan dialogue, where he says that Buffy is the one. Did you see her strength? It proves it. And says, one more and I'll be free. I'm positive she's the one. And, yeah. So, yeah, and he tells Sid about this great idea he's got for this social media website. <laughs> wait, wait, what? I missed something. That was that a Jesse Eisenberg, Eisenberg joke, man. Oh, okay. Went right over my head. What and I, I made the joke. And then really? every reference to it goes over my head. Wow. Wow. Well, anyway, uh, so Mark Zuckerberg screws Sid out of his money. <laughs> but so not in Mor- the biblical sense. <laughs> so Morgan is like Lex Luthor at this point. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I don't know how to touch that. I don't, <laughs> movie's not I even s- out yet. <laughs> I don't think that's confirmed. That he's Lex Luthor? It's confirmed. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm pretending it didn't happen. You're, yeah, you're just... <laughs> fingers I'm in denial. Okay, here's little, uh, my little... <laughs> slightly off-topic uh, idea of how Jesse Eisenberg got the role is because I know that Brian Cranston and Mark Strong were the front runners for the role, so I think that the you know the producers were like, "Yeah, let's get this Heisenberg guy." They're like, are you are you sure? Yeah, that's who I want, Heisenberg. And the next day, Jesse Eisenberg cast as Lex Luthor. <laughs> that's what yeah, I think this happened. Is- this is probably a good time to mention that uh, both of our podcasts are on the Tangent Bound Network. Yeah, I actually had to mention that last episode because we kept going on tangents. And uh, <laughs> this is they, this is what they do to you. If you join the Tangent Bound Network, you're bound to go on tangents. It's in the contract. TangentBoundNetwork.com <laughs> uh, Reel it back in. Yeah, back to uh, Bobby. Uh, yeah, Morgan's arguing with the puppet. He's basically implying... That he should kill Buffy. You know, it's not outright said, but it's pretty obvious that that's, that's what he's talking about. I'd say that's more than an implication at this point. Strongly implying. <laughs> and uh, back at home, a concerned Joyce is looking forward to Buffy the Town Show. Isn't that right, one sick puppy? Oh, man. You guys just love just. Uh... <laughs> <sighs> uh, yeah. Buffy doesn't want her to be there. But Joyce, being the supportive mother that she is, would love Loving, to go see caring. Buffy. <laughs> why do you hate her so bad? I, I have that in my notes. Like, why does one sick puppy hate Joyce so much? She just she grates on my nerves. She's a she's an attractive woman, but just every time she opens her mouth, she's such a crap mom. She just oh, she's there's there's no bond. There's no depth. She's just pops up and. Is it Buffy all the time? And I just, it just, just grates on my nerves. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's all I had about Joyce. <laughs> so then, uh, Buffy is going to sleep and she turns off the lights and we get a creepy shot of just Sid looking in her window. What a creeper. Yeah, he's a, he's wooden, so he, there's no, anyway. I feel like there's a joke there that didn't happen. I feel like I was suppressing some some dirty jokes, yeah. But 
<laughs> but Sid waits until the lights are off, and then we get some stupid scampering around Buffy's room. <laughs> That's some and... creepy little feet, though. <laughs> yeah. Those footsteps are kind of creepy. It's just... it Scampering is really the only way to describe it. He's scampering around her room. And so she wakes up with him in her bed <laughs> and starts oh, screaming. Yeah. <laughs> starts screaming, so then her loving, caring mom... To the rescue once again. <laughs> yeah, and this really makes Buffy seem like a real girl. You know, for, for a second she wakes up and she, you know how sometimes you can be disoriented when you wake up, and it's it's almost like she forgets she's the Slayer for a second. She's just a real girl. Yeah, yeah. She's very much like can check under the bed, check the closet. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and they can't find Sid in the covers or anything rather. And as she's leaving, Joyce tells Buffy, "Well, not don't go to sleep with the window open." But Buffy didn't. Dun dun dun. So how yeah, which is which is odd because. Aren't is, she's on the second floor? So why wouldn't you go to bed with the window open? And how did Sid get up there? Did he climb a weather vane? He's a puppet. He can't. A weather know. vane. <laughs> a trellis, man. A tr- yeah, you know that's what I said. <laughs> what was I, what was I even thinking? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I'll think of a way to save that. You were thinking about Owen, who climbed at the flagpole. <laughs> so her mom reassures her it was just a bad dream, as loving, caring parents do. <laughs> then we go back to the talent show, and there's our our wonderful magician who has Mark written on his magic box thing. Yeah, that's some that's a snazzy logo, though. You got to admit that. M A R C. Yeah. He's got that down. He's just wearing a cape over a polo shirt. <laughs> he has his lovely assistant step into his box, and he spins it around, and voila, she's still there. He exclaims, you were supposed to leave! Well, meanwhile, Cordy's arguing with Giles about her set placement. She says it's a sappy song about personal hygiene or something, and that she doesn't want to follow a rock band. <laughs> And so Giles just kind of stares off in the distance and says, your hair. And she says, what about my hair? To which he doesn't respond. So she starts freaking out about her hair. And Giles just kind of chuckles to himself, Xander was right. That was beautiful. That is the best way to get rid of Cordelia. You just don't do anything. You make it so vague. You that just she's... say two words and then say nothing at all. <laughs> That's one of my favorite scenes in this episode. I think that was so just well... It was out it's of a really good joke. but it yeah. was a good joke. So uh, Buffy, as she usually does when she's right, has a hard time uh, convincing the rest of the gang that a dummy broke into her room. Like a cat. And <laughs> she's describing it. Like, like a yeah, cat. It was small, like a cat. Uh, scampered up like a cat. Came in through the window like a cat. <laughs> pounced on my face like a cat. <laughs> But she's positive, despite not actually seeing it, that it was Sid the dummy. Like a cat. <laughs> but uh, Giles finds in his books a brotherhood of seven hu- or demons who take the form of humans every seven years and steal brains and hearts to keep their form. So Which that kind of explains... It's clearly foreshadowing, or else it would not be in this episode whatsoever. It has no purpose aside from that. Yeah. Yeah, when I was watching this episode particularly in the first season, you know, Giles uh, tends to, to 
be a foil, uh, a comedic foil. And it seems like books are his reverse kryptonite. It's like when he has got a book in his hand, he has got it all together and he is, you know, <laughs> super smart and all this kind of stuff. But when he is in another situation, he's, he's completely out of his element. He's, yeah. yeah, a bumbling idiot. When he goes, when he's in the computer lab or when he's visiting the, the morgue. Yeah, that's he's... one of my lesser favorite things about the first uh, season. Is, yeah. Uh, Giles' tomfoolery, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the word I'd use, but I know what you mean, yeah. <laughs> but, uh... So... Yeah, this Giles' new information suggests, once again, that the killer could be absolutely anyone. So Then in class, uh, Sid the dummy is checking Buffy out. And the teacher is using the classroom as her stage. She's, like, walking all over it, wandering everywhere. And then when the dummy starts making jokes, gets confisc- confiscated in class. Now, I was wondering why he had it out in class in the first place. Why would they allow that? He just has a ventriloquist dummy just on his hand, can write notes with the other hand, and he's just playing around with a dummy in class. But hey, he's ambidextrous. So good for Morgan. Really? That's what you got out of that? He's ambidextrous? (laughs) Wow. So the teacher confiscates Sid and puts him in a cupboard. Uh, He says, I'm still watching you. Uh, Which really... we know that the dummy's sentient at this point, and he's just an asshole. We assume that the dummy's sentient. He's such an asshole, though. <laughs> he's just ruining this poor kid's life. <laughs> yeah, Morgan's getting screwed over by the dummy, and imagine how rough it must be to, if you were a ventriloquist and nobody believed you that you're not doing, like, anything could happen and people could blame it on you. Like, you're like, no, it's not me. Who else could it be? <laughs> and it's not like it's even people. necessary. He's just doing it to be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, then he comes after school to grab his dummy, and the teacher starts saying, is asking if everything's okay at home or at school. He's been detached lately, and he's rubbing his head manically and saying, "He's all anxious and freaking out." Saying, tweaking. "No, I'm fine. Just give me my dummy." He's got not a dummy there. addiction. It looks like. Yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's not there, and then he starts freaking out more, saying he was supposed to wait for me and. <laughs> Stuff like that. But it's very reminiscent of American Horror Story's newest season. There's a character that is very similar to that, where he's got a dummy, and he tweaks out when it's not around, and he's just obsessed with it. The freak show season. Yeah, I haven't seen any of that. You're completely just spoiled the entire thing for me. He ruined well, no, ending. that's not a spoiler. That's one You just that... ruined the ending. Yeah, that's the only reason I wanted to watch. Thanks a lot. What? Well, hey, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so... We find out shortly after that Xander stole the dummy, so Buffy can talk to Morgan alone. He's just having a hell of a time playing with this dummy. Slamming it on the table. It's not real. Yeah, hey Buffy, I'm totally inanimate. And Red Rum! <laughs> Which was actually ad-libbed by Nicholas Brendan. It's a reference to The Shining, but it, he made that up. You know, it wasn't in the script. I could see that, because it doesn't really... The Shining has nothing to do with this episode whatsoever. <laughs> So, as Buffy is searching for Morgan backstage with a weird demon painting in the background. Uh, oh, I didn't notice that. I did I... notice that this is the most well-equipped theater department <laughs> in high school history. I noticed both of those. Yeah, the painting was weird, and 
Also, yeah, there's like a payphone and like all sorts of stuff <laughs> behind Buffy. And a cast iron chandelier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the the painting it looked like it looked kind of like Moloch from iRobot Eugene. But with different uh, I'm gonna have to go back and see that. I, I didn't even catch that. And I'm not sure why exactly there's a painting of a demon. So Snyder catches Buffy again and is unhappy with her again because she's where she does not belong. I noted that he's acting a bit suspicious in this scene, and I almost felt for a split second that they were going to try and set him up as like a villain, as like one of the demons that inhabit humans, because he's just acting a bit creepy. Yeah, no, that's yeah. the red herring. Yeah, it was not a very well done red herring, but it was one. Yeah, yeah. Because it feels like they waited too late in the episode and did too short of a scene where you feel that it's him. You know, it feels like it feels like they tried to set him up as the villain and they just kind of failed. <laughs> yeah, they just took they took their time. Because uh, I don't think with anyone it was more than a fleeting thought. Maybe he's nah, probably not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, back in the library, Willow finds a. Uh, that some there's some possessed dolls that kill to try and become human. So then, another potential villain. And then our male scream queen, Xander, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> starts freaking out because Sid the dummy is not there. Which I love Giles and Willow's reaction to this. They start like looking around like ooh a bug a bug like yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, Giles drops his book. <laughs> and when Xander tells him this, I notice he's standing on the table for whatever reason. Well, they're all like, smart. They're all acting like, like Xander just saw a mouse get loose in the library. Like, <laughs> yeah, they really are. I don't know. What, maybe because he's small. I don't know why. It's scurrying about. Why uh, Ellen S. Pressman directed them to do it that way, but it doesn't feel normal. But it's not like it. I thought it was funny. Have you funny not seen Child's Play? <laughs> yeah, and I kind of noticed that. Like, I wanted to ask you. Do you feel, as a horror movie podcaster, uh, that this was trying to, I guess, take some of that, like cash in on Child's Play, kind of recreate a bit to a degree? Not exactly because it's a, a ventriloquist dummy. Right. Uh, there have been several of those throughout the years. But uh, for some reason, it feels different to me because uh, it's, it's a dummy and not a doll. Right, but he even uses a knife. Me, I don't know, man. That's the way I feel about it. All right. For me, it was reminiscent of the Goosebumps episode with the ventriloquist dummy. I have never seen a single episode of Goosebumps. But it's so terrifying. Nope. <laughs> but, uh, that's... That's, that's Canadian horror right there. Goosebumps. But that's why I've never seen it. That's the best we get. Wow. Backstage again, uh, Buffy's lurking. And there's a big mirror and i noticed you can see a crew member for a split second just his head in the big mirror so whoops <laughs> so this seems actually pretty tense uh she i found at least her finding the body of morgan sans brain which is a human death count of two and also there goes one of your suspects was morgan ever really a suspect yeah, everyone pointed the finger at him at the start of the episode. Oh, yeah, I guess. He was a suspect to the characters in the show. <laughs> but, yeah, so cross one suspect off the list. 
And uh, Buffy's freaking until somebody drops the aforementioned cast iron chandelier on her. <laughs> Which even her slayer strength cannot budge. So she wakes up because apparently she was in a, a brief comatose state. <laughs> and uh, Sid attacks her with a knife. Yeah, child's play. And she tosses him across the room, and it feels very, like, not a threat at all. <laughs> no, because when you think about it, like, a, a scary dummy or a scary doll, people are always, you know, that's always been a common fear of people, like a killer, you know, thing like that. But but really, they're so, like, portable. <laughs> you can really just get rid of them quite quickly. You know, a common thing is they keep coming back. But still, it, you know, just the thought that you could hold it at an arm's length away makes it yeah, less scary when you think about it. <laughs> that happens at the end of child's play. I think he gets chucked across the room like a doll. Right. And you, at that point you wonder like, why haven't you thought to do that before? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, they start fighting physically and then they start arguing as well. Both thrown in their quips and as quickly realize that they're saying the exact same thing. Yeah. You win. Take your heart and brain and move on. You'll never be human. Neither will you. What? <laughs> and so then Sid explains to the Scooby gang that he is actually a demon hunter who is cursed to dummy form until he kills the last of the Brotherhood of the Seven. So I think that's a really cool twist. I didn't see that coming first time I watched it. Me either. But uh, I think it's a kind of... On paper, it's kind of dumb. I think they executed it fine, but it's kind of a weird thought. Kind of, like, makes the puppet seem sillier than scary. Well, I think, because, you know, people are afraid of puppets. <laughs> it's not, like, dolls and puppets, that's a common fear. And so You keep you know, saying that. I don't think it's a common fear. I think it's your fear. <laughs> I am not afraid of dolls and puppets, actually. Yeah, that's what somebody that's afraid of dolls and puppets would say. Now, my my fear gets addressed next episode in Nightmares. <laughs> but, but yeah, so but the fact that, you know, it's he's a good guy. He's on their side. You know, that's a one of the twists that I mean, a lot of Joss Whedon shows have crazy twists that you just didn't see coming. This one is clearly is not on par with some of his greats, but yeah, it's definitely something that I didn't see coming. I uh, didn't believe him at first. When I first watched this episode the first time, I didn't believe him. I'm like, he's going to turn on you when you're not expecting it. That'd be one too many twists. <laughs> Eddie's a total pervert, too. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, I mean, they say later in the episode, so the horny demon, or the horny doll thing wasn't an act? Nope. <laughs> yeah, he thought Buffy was a demon. He even says, look at you, you're strong, limber, nubile. <laughs> starts having fantasies he'd be drooling if he wasn't wood but yeah he killed six of the demons and he's still got one left until the curse is lifted and he no longer has to be a puppet and he so, gets to be a real boy <laughs> <laughs> so he suggests that giles forms a power circle <laughs> to find out who's missing at the talent show and giles has no idea what that means but uh, that's how they can whoever's missing will be the demon in disguise uh, Cordy is panicking backstage, saying everyone's staring at her like she's some sort of Buffy. <laughs> Which is a great line. She really just, like, chose the new kid to pick on. Like, <laughs> she could have substituted any name in there. 
<laughs> I love it. And Giles tells her just picture everyone in their underwear. Even Mrs. Franklin's, to which Giles even agrees, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we got to see her at some point in the season so we knew what they were talking about. So uh, Buffy and Sid are sitting there. Heart to heart. Heart to wooden heart. Yeah, they're having a little... Uh, a demon hunting, yeah, demon hunting heart to heart, to which he he says that once he kills the demon, he will die because his body is long turned to dust and that's kind of messed up and kind of sad actually. And they throw it away so casually that you don't really have time to like let it hit you. But when you think of it, I'm like, he just wants to die after doing this for so long. I think it's kind of messed up. Well, he's been doing it since I think he said the forties. Well, not that bad. There are people from the 40s that still work, <laughs> in theory. <laughs> no, yeah, but it sounds, like he's already, sounds like he's already like approaching middle-aged in the 30s, if we're judging by his voice. Yeah. But, you know, he just wants to die. And, yeah, Buffy tells Sid that she's a slayer. That's why she's super strong, which is why he suspected she was a demon. And, and apparently he banged the last slayer. Yeah, sounds like. Back in the 30s, I think he said. Yeah, in the 30s. Yeah, a uh, Asian slayer, I think he said. Korean. So, Sid is again missing. I don't know why I wrote that. <laughs> I don't remember that. Well, Buffy goes to see what's up, since everybody was at the power circle. And uh, instead she finds a brain. A dripping brain. So she's that's never a pretty gonna... awesome brain, though. That's that's huge. That's like yeah, that's Oliver a Cromwell brain. brain. That's what I was thinking. That brain is huge. But she talks about how she's never going to stop washing her hands. And Xander <laughs> comments, does anyone else feel like we've been Kaiser Sozied? Which is a great line from The Usual. Well, it's referencing The Usual Suspects. Which is my favorite movie of all time. Fun fact. No kidding. No kidding. I love that movie. Kevin's well, choice. That... Sounded like you were judging him a little bit. <laughs> I love Kevin Spacey. He should have yeah, made a cameo on uh, Buffy. <laughs> I'm totally gay for Kevin Spacey. Fun fact. <laughs> yeah, it turns out after some research that Morgan had brain cancer, which is also messed up and dark, but that's why he had all the headaches, and everybody suspected him when really he just had brain cancer. Yeah, and that's also why he was you know slacking at school and stuff. That's so sad. Like... And that's also why his brain was unacceptable to the demon. And so they realize that it's probably looking for someone with a healthy, smart brain. Xander says, I'm safe. Uh, and they start speculating about who it could be, and they should tell Giles. But Giles is safe. He's smart. They oh, also <laughs> briefly blame Willow. Or not blame, but blame. fear for Willow. Blame her for being smart. So back at the talent show, Mark the Magician uh, gets... Giles to strap himself into a guillotine like the smart man he is. Yeah, here we go again with the freaking <laughs> damsel in distress, Giles. Because he doesn't have a book. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, I'll do whatever you want, Mark. I've seen your magic tricks go well before. <laughs> <laughs> he's never and completed a single trick. I would not trust him. <laughs> yeah, he just saw this guillotine slice a melon in half. And he's like, oh, yeah, don't worry. It's an illusion. I'm not going to actually drop this blade on you, though I've never successfully completed a magic trick. And uh, he gets locked in, like chained in, and is okay with this. 
And mm-hmm. so what I'm at this point, like it's obvious that Mark is going to, you know, try and get at Giles' brain, but isn't he going to bisect the brain if he uses a guillotine? That's always bugged me. That's always <laughs> bugged me. There's no way he's getting that brain. He said he's going to shave off his scalp, but there's no way that would work. Is he going to, like, catch it so it just cuts through the top layer of scalp and then rotate Giles like a can opener? Like, <laughs> like there's no way that brain's coming out undamaged. Yeah, and he's like, we can see, like, to further, you know, make it obvious that Mark based on some patches of his skin, is turning demony, And, you know, Giles... Has the worst stuttered line ever. M-Mark! <laughs> but, uh, with Mark, you know, since he's clearly the demon, this magic thing, is that, like, does he just do that on the side? Like, you know, I'm human, might as well live it up. <laughs> like, exactly. Is he doing magic as a hobby, though he's a demon? <laughs> like, and what I was wondering is, like, it feels like he came to Sunnydale to do this. Like, or, I mean, like, how long has he been living this charade? You know, how long has he been pretending to be Mark? Or is he just a kid, a new kid that nobody noticed that's just suddenly there doing magic? They don't pay attention to his act. They don't know. <laughs> like, But that's know, classic supervillain kind of stuff, though. I mean, it's, you know, in the 60s, you can't just kill Batman with a gun. You've got to put him in this elaborate, you know, death trap. So that's that's kind of what's going on here, I think. Yeah. But uh, so they realize Giles is a potential villain, and they go to stop Mark, a villain, victim. You really not like in Giles and Willow. I read the first two letters of the word and guessed the rest of it. <laughs> so they yeah they go and there's a good scene of Buffy fighting Mark. A well. Xander holds the guillotine up and Willow... Yeah, while Xander catches the rope in midair yeah. with yeah. his ninja-like reflexes. Which is oh, it was a little bit tense because Mark's chopping at the rope and he's got one more swing and then Buffy tackles him and just as the, you know, the rope uncoils itself anyway and just as it's falling, Xander catches it and it was like super tense for a second. You're like, oh my God, is Joss going to die? <laughs> yeah, wouldn't put it beyond Joss. <laughs> I feel like if he wrote the script, he probably would have just killed Jaldi. Like, bye. And then Nicholas Brendan saved the character's life. But uh, so Willow is hacking at the uh, hacking at the lock with an axe. Xander is holding the rope, and uh, Buffy is fighting Mark. And it's just a lot of back and forth. You see a bit of everything. Giles stuck in the guillotine. And, uh, and Buffy locks Mark into his magic box. And he comes out a demon. Yeah, yeah like all demon. the way and naked. <laughs> yeah, well, did he demon. leave his clothes in there? <laughs> he looks a lot like some some vamps we see later in the show. He looks a lot like, actually, he's identical, same breed of demon as we do see later in the show in season four. But we'll get to that when we get to that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I know what you're talking about. But uh, yeah, he... he Full demon. He went full demon. <laughs> and uh, Buffy's fighting him. And Sid comes out of nowhere and starts stabbing the demon with the worst puppet motions ever. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, how do you make that better without the use of CGI? They were trying to go all practical. <laughs> they should have just done a different angle. Because he's not even cutting the skin. <laughs> you don't know how this demon gets taken out. But they, they end up plopping him in the guillotine. And I feel like this scene had some good pacing and some good 
tense tensitivity. Tensitivity. <laughs> because we're seeing a whole bunch of things going on at once, and you know your heart's still pounding from when the guillotine drops on Giles, so it kind of bouncing off that momentum and just giving you a whole lot of action. I really thought it was well directed. Yeah. Yeah, I could I could agree with that. But yeah, they uh they plop him in the guillotine and then let it go. And that's a demon death count of one. Yeah, and the, Sid finishes the demon by driving a knife through its heart. Also bad stabbing motions. <laughs> yeah. And that's the only the only way that Sid can be free. So he does so. Buffy picks up the dummy. And Sid is gone. Is that an other death count of one, or do you think that's a human death count of one? I'd say, I don't know. That's I mean, a human, counting... I think. Yeah, because he was human. And are we counting, like, witches and stuff like that as other or as human, you know? Well, I don't know, because his human body died a long time ago. But he's got a human soul, and that's why it's confusing. <laughs> I think that could safely fall under the category of other. Yeah, we'll put it as an other as a miscellaneous, like, we can't figure it out. <laughs> well, now that we've actually figured out who the villain is and and what's going on, I want to bring up the fact that this this demon is normal height, and at the beginning of the show, when they do that POV traveling shot, it's like three feet off the floor. Yeah. So is he crawling on his elbows, <laughs> slithering around through all these it's, people? It's trying to because trick they, you, I guess. Yeah, they come up and they show Sid, so it's it's not Sid running through all this stuff. It's got to be the demon. So, why is it? Why is the camera three feet off the floor? Maybe their eyes are in their feet or kneecaps. Or he's <laughs> crawling prone, like solid snake style. Yeah, that's. Legs. I don't know. That bugs me. Yeah, I didn't even think about that actually, but that's a good point. But yeah, uh, at the most inopportune time, the curtains open. Uh, Willow's holding an axe. Buffy's holding the puppet. There's a demon in the guillotine. Then Xander and Giles are caught in the headlights, <laughs> and uh, in front of a whole audience. <laughs> <laughs> I just love Snyder's line. Is, I don't get it. What is it, avant-garde? <laughs> and then the episode ends. And I remember the first time I saw this, I laughed so hard. That's such a great way to end an episode. It's so dumb, but it's just hilarious. And that was not the actual end, as we get a short little scene of... Over the credits. The only time, I think, or one of the only times the scene's played over the credits. Of Buffy, Xander, and Willow forming a scene from uh, Oedipus Rex, their uh, their dramatic reading. Uh, it's really they're lacking in the <laughs> talent department. But it, it takes a good actor to be able to act like you act poorly. Yeah, and like especially Nicholas Brendan did exceptionally bad in this scene, <laughs> and. Uh... He's trying not to laugh the whole scene, and that was actually Nicholas Brendan. That wasn't Xander. wasn't in the script. He just thought it was so funny. <laughs> yeah, they do. It's, it's dumb. And then Xander can't remember a line. He gets it, but Willow just completely succumbs to stage fright and runs off. Runs. To it, Xander and Willow, to their credit. Xander and Buffy. Xander and Buffy, to their credit, just uh, fill in the gap. <laughs> with a pose. <laughs> yeah, and that was not scripted either. No, and you can hear crew members laughing when she runs off stage also. Oh, I didn't realize that. It's right at the very end, and not very loud. And I like My how... favorite part of that scene is when they step together, she holds his hand. Yeah. yeah. And, and considering that they're doing Oedipus, that's pretty freaky. <laughs> yeah, Xander's Oedipus, Buffy's Jocasta, and Willow is Zeus, which is the funniest part of the whole thing. <laughs> 
But uh, this episode is actually, that's the end of the episode. And this episode's the lowest rated one of the whole season, according to Nielsen ratings. So really? what do you think no one, of that? No one was watching it? Or was it the, the time that it aired? Or? Maybe. I think they were still pissed off about the pack. <laughs> they took it out on this episode. Yeah, three episodes <laughs> later, they're like, I'm, I'm done with that show. They saw the writers, like, oh, the Never Kill a Boy on the First Date writers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, we actually, we picked One Sick Puppy for this episode and the next episode because we felt that they were more horror-themed episodes, and he knows his horror. So if you had to give this a horror rating out of five stakes, not, you know, you can give it two ratings. One a horror rating and one a regular. One Sick Puppy, what would you rate it horror How wigged out were you? A Wiggins rating. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't find it to be that scary. It was no. very interesting, but... Uh, on horror, I'm I'm gonna have to knock it down. It's it's more uh, funny than scary, I think. Yeah. So stakes rating, I think it's time. So we'll start with you. Out of five stakes, one sick puppy. What would you give this episode? I'm gonna have to go with a three on this one. Uh, I'm gonna take one off because Joyce pops up in it. And uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But it's 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 a it's a funny episode, and like I said, you know, there's some good chemistry in it, uh, which makes it fun to watch. But that's, uh, you know, I'm just not scared of dummies. No, no. And uh, Claire Boy, what do you think? Uh, well, I mean, Sid the Dummy is no Moloch the Corrupter. <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> we had a great debate last episode over if he was cool or not. I don't think he's that cool. But the clairvoyant thinks that he's pretty awesome, even though he's just made out of old computer parts. The toaster of love is what I call him. <laughs> And wow, do I love that toaster. So, uh, I liked, you know, Sid is a, it's a cool, cool concept for an episode. Overall, I thought it was a pretty good episode. Strong. I hope that it stays this way for the rest of the first season after Angel on the upward swing. And, well, not really an upward swing. Angel was the highlight of the season so far. But, yeah, it was a good episode, and I'd give it a three as well. Okay, well, me... Yeah, I don't, I don't really like... I don't, I'm not afraid of dummies either. I thought the episode was pretty okay. It wasn't fantastic. It wasn't bad. It was a pretty average episode. Uh, originally, I gave it a 2 out of 5. And then, you know, after talking about it a bit more and thinking about it, as we discussed it, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought. Uh, I bumped it up to a 2.5 out of 5. It's a 50%. You know, it wasn't bad. It wasn't great. It's... Uh, you're kind of a throwaway episode in the terms of the overall arc and plot of the season, but it, it did have a, it's a nice little self-contained story. Weedenverse podcast rating, 2.75 out of 5 stakes. If you like what you hear, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at at Whedoncast. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, or review, rate, and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. The Whedonverse Podcast is brought to you by the HHW LOD Network. You can find them at hhwlod.com, 
on Twitter at HHWLOD underscore network or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash HHWLOD. The Tangent Bound Network can be found at TangentBoundNetwork.com, on Twitter at TangentBoundPC, and on Facebook at TangentBoundNetwork. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 1, Episode 10, Nightmares, written by David Greenwald, directed by Bruce Seth Green, original air date, May 12th, 1997. And we're back for our second segment on the Whedonverse podcast, once again, still with one sick puppy. He's joining us for the whole episode this week because he's a lucky guy. But we have another guest joining us as well, uh, Shani Dreadful, also from the Diz Hill Horror Podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you today, Mr. Universe and the Clairvoyant? I can't complain. Uh, we got a reunion. It's a Dead as Hell uh, Weedenverse podcast mashup. Yeah. And fun fact, uh, we mentioned, I think it was the last episode, that we were supposed to have a special guest before they passed away. That was Shani Dreadful. Yeah, that was me. So, yeah, she had a tonsil infection. Couldn't make it for the episode of Angel. But she's here now. Uh, and Before she passed away? <laughs> yeah, I glossed over <laughs> that. You have not been keeping me up to date. <laughs> I'm the only dude with a horror podcast that's got a dead chick on it. Cha-ching. <laughs> you could but, monetize uh, that. Yeah. Uh, this episode, actually, before we begin, is... Uh, generic on paper i thought the idea behind it but it's kind of worked effectively it was kind of cool to see in a tv show so i thought that it really worked but we start in the master's lair but buffy's here my favorite my favorite location yeah uh so say what buffy found the master already but no obviously it's a dream because of the music and all this stuff but imagine what if it wasn't like what a twist would that be if all of a sudden, episode starts with Buffy walking into the master's lair. I find the show does that a lot, where it just starts an episode, and like within seconds, like it's a dream. And yeah. I don't know why so many cold opens to the show are dreams. It's kind of unimaginative, but... Buffy meets the master face-to-face, and it's the first time we actually see Sarah Michelle Gellar and Mark Metcalf in a scene together, I believe. Yeah. Is it just me, or did they get rid of the Kool-Aid mouth? Uh... You know, I kind of thought something looked different. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah, Maybe I think so. Yeah, his face was very dry. <laughs> Maybe it's because Buffy has never actually seen the Master, so this is how she pictures him. It's startlingly similar to what he actually looks like, just a little cleaner. <laughs> Maybe. But uh, She gets terrified as soon as she sees him. She drops her stake, and he uh, chokes her out while going in for the kill. And I'm not counting that as a death, because that's obviously a dream. <laughs> I don't know, that's the Slayer Death Count of one. <laughs> and we cut to uh, Joyce waking Buffy, uh, the ever-loving, caring, wonderful mother, Joyce. Joyce. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, what shoot. I should. I can't swear on this, I'm sorry, guys. It's okay, Shani Dreadful actually has a, a sensor bleep built into her mouth, government-mandated, so every time she swears, you know, it's actually a bleep, and she thinks she's swearing, but uh, you're going to hear a bleep. I'll try not to bleep anymore. <laughs> but, <laughs> Which means she just said a curse word. So what is she actually trying not to do that was bleep? We'll never know. This is so meta. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Joyce is waking Buffy. It was all a dream surprise. And they find you find out right away that Buffy has plans with her never mentioned before dad this weekend. 
Yeah, but it's something I wanted to mention real quick. The dreams that are actually part of the Slayer gig, the prophetic dreams that they have, I don't think that's really uh, used very effectively. It seems like that could be something, and I, I'm kind of in the air about this. It could either like be used more and be cliche, or as it is now, I don't think it's used enough, and I think they should uh, they should have done a better job with it. What do you think? Yeah. I agree. I feel actually until, and we won't get to this for a long while, but until Frey, the Slayer Dreams are not used effectively at all as a training tool, which is their intention for the Slayers. The intention of the Dreams, as far as the Buffy lore is concerned, is to you know keep them both informed as to their duties, to see the mistakes of past Slayers, to keep them kind of trained you know in their sleep. It's like a, an audio cassette thing that you put in your ears <laughs> when you sleep. But, yeah, no, I find the show itself didn't use it very effectively. Only in, you know, the comic fray was it actually, did, did I even realize, oh, okay, maybe that's the reason they even have these things. Yeah. Yeah, Buffy's got plans with her absentee father for the weekend. And it's pretty much just, they discuss it quickly. We find out Buffy's a little worried about it, but, mm. And at school, Willow and Buffy discuss it further, how she rarely sees her dad. Her parents got divorced last year. Uh, Willow mentions that her parents don't even bicker. They just glare. <laughs> now, here I've got to mention, and I, this episode makes me feel really gay because I'm, I'm all about the, the fashion and the hairdos and stuff. But she's wearing these rings on either hand, and they're blinking with LEDs. Did you guys notice this? I didn't, no. no. I didn't notice that, but I actually wrote down in my notes that I love the 90s hairstyles. These girls look so damn cute this entire episode. The one she's got later on in the episode where her hair is like twisted up and there's a little bit hanging out the back is so pretty. I was all about that. I agree. <laughs> As I mentioned previously in another episode, this is the uh, 90s fashion verse podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is a the only topic that's guaranteed to be in every episode. I am a manly man. <laughs> Can I actually take it back for just a moment? I entirely forgot about the Slayer dreams. That is how irrelevant and how much they do not <laughs> use them at all in the entire series. Like, yeah, I yeah. seriously, like, thinking about it now, I entirely forgot about it. Now, we cut to Buffy opening her locker. She's got, since we took inventory of everybody else's locker... I had to pause it and take inventory. She's got a rose, a smiley face, and what looks like a cutout of shoes. <laughs> I wonder who gave her that rose. Mm. Tuxedo mask. Oh wow! <laughs> but uh, Buffy, we kind of get—I get the feeling at least that Buffy somewhat blames herself for her dad leaving. She says she doesn't, but I get the feeling she does deep down. I and... wonder if that'll be addressed. <laughs> and uh, Cordy is checking herself out in class, but some doofus Wendell. Is in her light. That's <laughs> so dumb. Sander got so sassy about all that. It was so great. Yeah. Uh, Eve calls her the center of the universe, and she actually seems happy when he says that. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I am. But <laughs> later, uh, they discuss Cordy. Not much later. Just they walk over a bit. And they said that why is she so Evita like? I think it's the hair, weighs heavy on the cerebral cortex. Which is a reference to the stage play Evita, based on Eva Prawn. Which is great. Yeah, why are they dissing Evita, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, are we talking about the character or the musical? The character. The person. 
the well, yeah, I, guess, I think of it as a musical. I don't care if it's based on real life. <laughs> I don't know, but I think it's weird that Willow has more hair than Cordelia, and they're making that joke. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Buffy <laughs> reminds Xander about the homework of listening by uh, mentioning the teacher's sweater, which he recalls as Midnight Blue Angora, and that's how he remembers the assignment. What a just stereotypical male in the first season he is. By remembering sweaters? Well, by <laughs> focusing... That's a the, man thing. Focusing on the wrong things. Getting a little sexist there, Mr. Universe. <laughs> Blame the writers. This one's written by Joss, actually. Joss no, and David Greenwald. The story was by Joss. The idea was by Joss. Yeah. He dictated it to David Greenwald from a sofa. <laughs> I, I like to think. A chaise... But uh, Buffy... I have no idea who writes these. I can't even I can't even begin to attempt to keep that straight. You guys are on a whole different level. This is David Greenwald, uh, writer of the pack, I believe. <laughs> oh my god, there's no he's peace also, with you people. He's also the co-creator of Angel, so he's not he didn't write the pack. Oh no, he wrote No, he wrote the the Praying Mantis one. Yeah. And co-created Angel, so he's not and he did a good episode too, I think. I think he did Angel. I think you're right. Yeah, so he's a hit and miss. Very much so. Buffy drops her pencil and she sees a kid in the hallway, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, a young Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It's not actually him. I have to say that every single episode. It's not actually him. But it, it does, does look actually, like him. I will agree with you on this one that it looks quite a bit like him. And uh, after she sees this kid, Wendell opens his textbook as per the teacher's instructions and tarantulas crawl out everywhere. And he's waking out. This actor must have been really chilled to just be covered in tarantulas. Like, I wouldn't do it. They told me, you know, come on this episode, we're going to coach you in tarantulas. No. I would say, sorry, I'll find other work. <laughs> I would be so pumped. I love tarantulas. If I was Wendell, I'd be like, oh my god, free pets. This is the best day. <laughs> on your face, though? Really? On yes, your face. on my face. I'd be so down. I don't know if I'd like to have tarantulas on my face but as one who, who's handled tarantulas and i do like them um i mean you guys aren't getting my skype name but it's actually my skype name derives from a f pet name i was going to name a tarantula when i had the funds to acquire one in high school <laughs> fun fact <laughs> but Are tarantulas expensive no not, not really not really i was just poor but yeah i i do enjoy tarantulas i don't know if i'd put it on my face because they can like shoot out little hairs and stuff and lodge in your eyes. <laughs> well, I guess when you're dead, it's you know you you're not really scared of a lot. So <laughs> thanks. But uh, the kid, little Joseph, little JGL, says uh, sorry about that, and then cold open theme song, and that is and so far this is my favorite cold open of the whole season. It's you know it's intriguing because you're like what it just happened, but it's scary because you know. What just happened? And we very, very often praise the cold opens. <laughs> but no, well, you praise the one in I Robot You Jane, and I disagreed. Uh, that <laughs> one was a stock. Started off with a stock photo of an Italian castle. Stop hating on that episode so much. But this one, this is just how you open an episode. This is such a good way to open an episode. And later, after the theme, we go to the master's lair. The master is schooling Colin about fear, basically spitting out. Uh, little bits of exposition How yeah i wanted so to, i wanted to talk about this for a second i didn't notice until this episode that they layered his voice yeah i want to talk about that i don't because i don't think they did it until this episode 
Yeah. I like, yeah, he's yeah. got an echo on his voice that makes him really creepy. And when I went to look him up, because he looked familiar, uh, he's in nothing. I I thought it was strange that he's not credited as the anointed one. He's credited as Colin for all yeah. six episodes. Yeah, and he uh, he it feels like he swallowed an auto tune microphone toy, and that's why he's coming out all echoey. Maybe C- maybe his name's C Pain. <laughs> oh, we should do a auto-tuned episode <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the master's talking about fear and he while he says this he grabs a cross and says like pain fear can be controlled which that's raw man that guy should be a motivational speaker <laughs> yeah in this episode the master is totally pimp he is he's much stronger and just he's he's a force he's a presence in this episode he is he's got uh what do they call that chutzpah is that what it's called? <laughs> I don't know. If you if you choose to use that word, yeah. Well, Don't make fun of my words, Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> well, he basically starts off with beating the <laughs> out of Buffy in the beginning of the episode, even if it was a dream. So, kind of sets the mood for the entire sh- like episode, I guess, for the master at least. Yeah, and that cross is just two pieces of wood. So, can a vamp just not touch anything that happens to fall in that shape? Like, there's two branches. Having to fall in that shape. Hey, buddy, could you pick that up? Nope, man, look at it. <laughs> it's a cross. <laughs> I don't and, know, but he's been in there for God knows how long. Don't you think he's going to take the cross out at some point? Don't you get sick of looking at it? Yeah. I mean, you're a vampire. That's that's like, I don't know. If I had mace hanging on the wall, it would kind of piss me off after a while. And also, what what force, what power that be is defining what is cross-shaped enough that they can't touch it? Yeah. Is it like they can't touch the X button on a PlayStation controller? Like, Yeah, are there certain pretzels they can't eat? (laughs) Oh, that would be the worst. (laughs) But uh, on the way to school, Buffy's quiet, a bit distant, and she realizes she forgot her bag for her dad's place at home. Uh, Her mom says, just stop by. You know, I'm the best mom ever, so just come over. I hate you so much. Yeah, I hate you. (laughs) But uh, she's not hasn't been sleeping well due, presumably, to the stress of her daddy combined with her crippling nightmares. Okay, I can't help but feel sympathetic for Buffy's anxiousness about her father's visit with her. Like she's so excited and nervous, but scared that he's going to cancel, and it's just this jumbled mess of emotions. And I just feel bad for her. Like being a teenage girl is hard enough, but also being a vampire slayer on top of that would be even harder. Then on top of all that, she has parents who are divorced. Like this girl, like does not get a break. She's tough. Have... Yeah, let's let's talk about Buffy's daddy issues though. I mean, My she's notes... scared her dad's gonna leave her. She's got the fake dad is the watcher she's got no problem with this god knows how old dummy lusting after her and her boyfriend is like 700 years old that's some some serious daddy issues i just wrote in my notes i hope he cancels (laughs) that's so mean i i feel so bad for her (laughs) i (laughs) see i watched half this the, the back half of this episode and then i watched the whole episode and I feel that influenced my decision in writing that note. But, uh, yeah, Xander and Willow were looking for Buffy as she enters the school. They want to know if she had talked to Giles about the Spideys. And Willow reveals that she's afraid of spiders and them crawling all over her face. Xander says he's unruffled, but it'd be a different story if it was Nazis. <laughs> okay, it is yeah, so... Yeah, Nazi joke, Nazi joke to his Jewish best friend. Yeah, 
I actually wrote that down. Two episodes in a row. <laughs> yeah. The Fuhrer, the, <laughs> Snyder's the Fuhrer, and now we're joking about Nazis again. After we joked about suicide in the last episode. So I'm waiting for the abortion joke in, in the next one. <laughs> yeah, they've got some pretty dark humor going on. Xander's not too worried. He says, if there's something bad out there, we'll find, you slay, we'll party. Which, he's unfazed, because they're on the helmo. So really, what? after yeah, a while, but... you get numb, I think. Uh, Giles, meanwhile, was lost in the stacks of books in the library. He seems pretty out of it. But uh, Xander makes the jokes about spiders. It's funny if you're me. He's just kind of bugging Willow. And uh, But Giles is just messed up. And he says, maybe they should talk to Wendell in his sick ponytail. Because... He's just, he doesn't say sick ponytail, by the way, but he's just really distracted. And why don't they ask him why he seems so like out of it and on edge? Obviously something's up. Like how oblivious are these kids? (laughs) You're like, Hey guy who always warns us of impending doom. Why you look so glum? (laughs) Yeah. But Wendell's pretty messed up over all this. You know, he knows a lot about spiders. He gets defensive when they call it an insect. And he's just... He seems so much like a different character in this scene. You know, than he was before. The guy standing in Cordy's light is not the same defensive, I love spiders, but they hate me kind of kid. <laughs> Wendell's just passionate. Just but, really passionate about spiders. Yeah. And Xander's shirt and pants combo in the scene is terrible, by the way. He's got, like... I don't even know. I don't Terribly know sexy. <laughs> See, we find out in this scene as well that Willow is not actually a redhead. Do we? Yeah, her roots are showing pretty oh. bad. She's she's oh, got a yeah. good three quarter inch roots. On, I didn't even uh, yeah. But uh, how does that make you feel? I don't know. <laughs> I, I choose to believe that she's a redhead. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, Cordelia reminds Buffy of the history test, and she leaves. Xander. Continues to interrogate Wendell, asks if his spider love is platonic, which makes me laugh. <laughs> I totally miss that. It's like under his breath, like almost feels improvised. Like he's like, is it platonic? And like it's just glossed over. But a Wendell's so just intense in this scene. His brother fried a spider collection with a heat lamp when he was at camp, and he gets so like rattled over it. Tarantulas are expensive. <laughs> You just said they weren't. Yeah, I thought we established they were. Well, if you buy like a whole bunch of them, it kind of costs. They're like usually about like a hundred bucks each, but you think you get a discount if you buy in bulk? I was just gonna say that. Isn't there a bulk fee? Guess I don't. I don't know. I'm not a spider rancher. What is wrong with you people? Uh, He explains that what had happened in class today is exactly like his nightmare that the spiders are coming to take their revenge. No, I just processed Spider Rancher. That's pretty damn funny. <laughs> uh, Why would they be taking their revenge on him and not his brother? Yeah, I don't know. He's blaming himself. But uh, Cordy later says that Buffy cut history class every single day they had it. But he shows her where it is. Buffy's so just lost and distracted, probably by the bad fashion sense of her classmates. Buffy only has one absence. Yeah, so already we know something's up. Either with the computer system or the the world right now. And she, <laughs> she goes to write her name, but breaks her pencil. <laughs> it's her slayer writing strength. She can't... No, but <laughs> right before this, though, we understand that something is out of out of whack because the lockers are different. Really? I didn't notice. Oh, I guess they were. 
the lockers are sticking out of the wall like three or four inches in this scene. Yeah, I knew that they actually, I think they filmed in a real high school, but they added, or no, they don't, exterior was, I think. So maybe they were just added, yeah. What? Hmm. <laughs> well, the exterior <laughs> shots were filmed at a real high school, but the interior, I think some were maybe, but usually they just use the same set over and over. No, it was different one angles. Set. It was absolutely one hallway built in a Yeah, warehouse. but the lockers are normally flush. Just nod your head and smile and let the super nerds discuss the lockers. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are losing it here. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Buffy breaks her pencil and time is just moving way too fast. She's sweating. Uh, the teacher, who looks like a ginger Ron Jeremy, is glaring down at her. Yeah, that's a freaky looking dude. <laughs> and before you know it, class is over. Buffy hasn't even started. But... She notices as she's panicking that little Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in the hallway again, but he walks off. You know that nightmare where, you know, there's a class that just, that you, you are completely unfamiliar with? You you know, the, the, this nightmare, I've, I've lived this nightmare. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't just register for classes because they're open, kids. When, you, when you're in university, don't say, hey, that class is open. I'll take 18th century art and architecture. It'll be no problem. <laughs> in the hallway, we get some random ladies chatting, and one decides to go to the boiler room for a smoke break, which is probably the worst idea I can think of. Yeah, just go outside. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> yeah. But a little kid, little Joseph Gordon-Levitt, says that she shouldn't go down there to himself, not to her, because pff, he's not going to tell anybody but himself. Yeah, so at this point, we've got nightmares, and we've got a boiler room. So I'm pretty happy. Yeah. <laughs> so the girl's downstairs. She's about to smoke, but she's attacked by Red Skull, uh, who says lucky 19 before he beats the pulp out of her. He doesn't look anything like Red Skull. He kind of... Not, not at all. <laughs> he looks more like the Toxic Avenger than he looks like the Red Skull. <laughs> For his first appearance, I wrote Red Skull, but later in the episode, I kind of retracted it because he doesn't look so much like him when you get him in good light. <laughs> But yeah, he says Lucky 19 beats the hell out of her. And as she's getting beaten up, if <laughs> the cameraman, I bet he wasn't even told to do this. Just took it into his own hands, focused on a sign that says smoking kills. <laughs> See? And that's what happens when you smoke, kids. You get beat up. Heavy-handed. It's dumb, but it's awesome. I really like that. <laughs> At the hospital later, Buffy and Giles are discussing the accident, decide to visit the girl, Laura, uh, and the Ask her what happens. She doesn't really give a good answer. She explains that she's never seen anything like him. She can't describe it, but she's freaking out. And she says, you know, they said, if anything weird happened, you can tell us. So she tells him, he said lucky 19. And that's all really the most useful of the information they get out of her. (laughs) Yeah, and this hospital has the most narrow hallways ever. Yeah, horrible hospitals. Yeah. You could get a bed down these halls if everybody stopped and stood to the side. <laughs> That's true, yeah. I guess it's a weird-looking hospital. You need to run people through gurneys and stuff, or like run people like through hallways on stretchers, and there's not even enough room to put two stretchers side-by-side side in that hall. Yeah, and how are you going to roll a bed into one of those rooms? You can't get a bed at a right angle in that hallway. <laughs> yeah. Stretcher racing was a big problem in this, in this hospital, so they had to take measures. <laughs> Drastic measures. But <laughs> Rebuilding the hospital hallways. The doctor tells them that she's lucky, which, that's messed up. Lucky 19. But takes them to the room of the first victim, 
and just some little kid we can't really see. He's not important yet. At school, back at school, there's some greasers who can't act, and they're arguing. <laughs> and Willow points out that that was just a brief thing. And then it cuts to Willow pointing out the dream that Wendell had had came true. And I noticed that her locker, it's the same locker as before, so that's good. But she also, she has a Nerf Herder sticker at the top, which yeah, is the one that does the theme zone. I was going to mention that. She has a Nerf Herder in her locker. She probably did you that herself. I didn't notice that. nerds. I do not notice any of these things. <laughs> but nerds. she, Allison Hannigan, is the person who got Joss Whedon to audition Nerf Herder for the theme song. So that's Yeah, why I, I remember you said that. That's why I'm thinking she probably added that herself. Yeah. And uh, the greaser guy's mom shows up at school and embarrasses him. And so it's pretty clear what's going on here. I'm not going to say it out yet, but it's pretty clear. And it's been implied. And they kind of have theories that turn to be true. And Xander walks into class. Suddenly everyone's laughing at him. He's in boxers, the nightmare that everybody's had. That Xander's in boxers? <laughs> I've never I've never had the naked in public. I don't think I've dream. ever had that one either. Usually I'm on a bus. Actually, I've had the I've had the naked in public dream, but you know, for whatever reason in my subconscious, it was not a nightmare. It was not addressed. You know, I was naked and I looked down. Like, oh, I'm naked, and everyone's like, "Ah, oh, he's naked." And then the dream pre- proceeded as normal. Well, let's get Freudian on this. You must have a giant. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm just gonna say, naked Xander is more of a dream and less of a nightmare. <laughs> he's in good. He's shape. pretty ripped. I gotta say, yeah, he's that... a buff dude. Lose those boxers have, and I would have been so happy. He just doesn't have the pecs. That's all he needs. He needs some yeah. cap, Captain America pecs. I don't even care. He has the cutest <laughs> smile. It's so adorable. Somebody's hot for Xander. Apparently. He's in his boxers and has the cutest smile. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, I even made a note. His body's not that bad. Not as bad as I thought it'd be. Uh, he tries to pinch himself to wake up. Doesn't work, so he flees. <laughs> in the library, Giles is frustrated because he finds he suddenly can't read. Though he can normally read five languages, he uh, suddenly can't read a single one. It's all gibberish, and he gets mad and slams his paper. I would poop my pants. He says, I have a book in his hands. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But uh, also, at this point, all of a sudden, Buffy has a sore throat. Did you (laughs) notice that? No, I didn't. Yeah, she she gets kind of hoarse in this scene. But uh, they're looking, or Buffy looks in the newspaper because Giles can't read and apparently can't look at pictures either. And Billy Palmer, 12, uh, she recognizes as the kid in the halls. He's been in a coma since his Little League game. <laughs> and yeah, Giles says, how's this possible? Buffy says, what am I, knowledge girl? Explanations are your terrain. But really, not lately. Because Buffy no. does most of the explaining for almost over half the season. She figures out the plot before Giles. Yeah, and Giles is always like, oh, it can't be that until she figures it out and goes on her instincts anyway. And she's right. It was a praying mantis or hyenas or... Etc. Uh, and Giles's best guess is that Billy is astral projecting, which Buffy responds, "Are we seeing his asteroid body?" <laughs> and also, Buffy notices his jersey number is nineteen, which is important because, well, think about it. <laughs> I don't get it. Well, I'm not going to explain it. Buffy's dad shows up. It's the first time we see him. Hank Summers. That dude has got a bad haircut. So bad. It's like Mr. Spock, except they screwed his bangs all up. Dean Butler, I think is his name. I don't know. I'm just picking last names. It's Dean something. And I think Hank Summers, that's probably a mix between Beast and Cyclops, knowing Joss and that he wrote the X-Men and that he loved the X-Men. He didn't write the X-Men yet. 
Probably. Right? But he was a fan of X-Men. And Hank McCoy and I'm almost positive Buffy's last name Summers is taken from the Cyclops Summers family. Oh, you son of a I can't believe you said that. I hate Cyclops as much as I hate Joyce. You had just completely <laughs> ruined that for me. I, every time I hear her name now, I will think that. I hate you so much. Look at what you're doing. You're ruining the man. Jesus. I'm never coming on this podcast again. <laughs> uh, Buffy's dad has some bad news for her. He wants to tell her privately. And he tells her that he and her mom split up because of Buffy, which, wow. I love this scene because it's hilariously cold. <laughs> like, he's just so, the like, least we could do is be honest with each other. <laughs> yeah, he just keeps insulting her. He says she embarrassed him, uh, that she's sullen, she's rude, she's not bright, she only thinks of herself. <laughs> just, Wow. Yeah, and for some reason when they walked outside, they walked onto a college campus. Yeah. Because in no way is this the Sunnydale High School location. I yeah. don't know where they were doing this. But he, uh, he even says the kicker, could you stand to live in the same house with a daughter like that? <laughs> and he says, to be honest, I don't really get anything out of these little weekend visits. So how about we just stop doing it? This whole scene is beautiful. It's... <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I was already feeling so bad for her, and now they add this into the mix. Of, I don't know uh, why. I love like me and Hank Summers so much, <laughs> but he's just oh, it's it's he, oh, it's just great burn after great burn. Like this is. He's they weren't even her. burns. They were just. It was just sad. It was just he sad was words put into. Cool, his own daughter in a rap battle, just <laughs> spitting these out. You're yeah. cold, man. Good yeah. acting by uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar in this scene, because she's actually crying, tears down the face. Well, no sh**, your dad's being a poop. <laughs> it's really hard not to swear. You already said <laughs> in the in the sentence, and I then you know. changed it to poop. I had to stop. <laughs> but uh, as her dad pieces, Buffy sees Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and, well, Billy, but, <laughs> and... We cut to the library where Willow and Xander are explaining to Giles Xander's dilemma while Xander wears his gym clothes now. And Willow doesn't seem like it was such a bad thing. <laughs> she thought it was funny, actually, more than anything. But she's like, it was really bad. It, it was a bad thing. And But they realize, they come to realize that it was Xander's nightmare and it came true, which has been happening. And Giles mentions that he dreamed that he got lost in the book stacks. So they deduce that the dreams are coming true, and Giles says the great line, not dreams, that would be the wacky Broadway version. These are nightmares, which is a reference to a line in an episode an episode that is five seasons down the line. We can't talk about it yet, but, it, if, but it, if you've seen the episode, you'll recognize it. We watched a bit of this episode together, Mr. Universe and I, and we just turned and looked at each other. We both knew exactly what the episode that references this line in the future but we we're like we cannot say that at all on the podcast we cannot discuss this <laughs> yeah and i here wonder we are how long the spoiler rule is gonna last i can already see this breaking down <laughs> <laughs> we're like we can say that things will be addressed and that's about it see i don't know i'm having a hard time here because angel's a vampire you can't say that <laughs> Can you? Did that happen already? Yeah, that See, like happened. I don't know when stuff are like, like it's happening. I'm so confused right now. Yeah, it's happened already. All right, <laughs> we're safe. But uh, they blame Billy, that little nerd, and the explanation <laughs> is 
that it's a hellmouth, which is a cop-out answer. That is not a real answer for what's going on. I think it is at this point. It's like with Metal Gear Solid, where Kojima gets to the point where he can just say nanomachines. They can just say, Sunnydale. Like, that's their explanation. <laughs> and yeah, Giles closes the scene with, soon everyone will be facing their worst nightmares. And then we cut to Cordy, opening her locker and facing her worst nightmare. Her hair is frizzy and terrible, and her comb breaks. <laughs> yeah. There's some great hair, though. Yeah, we mentioned in I, Robot, You, Jane that that wasn't sitcom frizzy. It was regular frizzy. This is sitcom frizzy. So Buffy follows Billy's asteroid to the gym bleachers. Uh, Astro Boy. He, he admits that he's Billy, and he admits that he can't really remember what happened at his baseball game. Uh, but he played second base way too young to be playing second base. Cha-ching. And Bad. Wow. She asked if What's he's lucky. <laughs> baseball she asked him if he's lucky 19 he says well that's what he calls me who the ugly man he wants to kill me and he hurt that girl and then suddenly he's there and uh boom ugly man beats buffy with a, a plank i thought it was a plank at first uh later in the episode i realized it's a club his hand appears to be a club yeah <laughs> yeah which is too heavy for his arm which is strange it also looks like a flipper yeah yeah it does I I what did I say it was a wiffle ball or a wiffle paddle or I don't know it looks like a paddle. I don't care. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. <laughs> I thought it was it was it added insult to injury. I noticed that they have some odd commercial breaks, and yeah. like he hits her, and then they cut to commercial, and then he comes back <laughs> and he hits her. He gives her the same pop in the mouth again. Yeah, I noticed so that too. It's, they don't just break it dramatic points they also break at action points and i don't think many shows do that no and i don't know if that was a good idea they should have had him raise his club and then commercial break he too yeah it'll happen again though you'll you'll notice it now he two shot her he just boom boom (laughs) he got her she snapped back got her again whenever this dude in this particular scene is uh beating her up and and making his growly noises i always think is that vincent d'onofrio because it sounds like him. I'm just going to say, though, like, that kid would have seen that guy coming way before he reacted, and they could have got away without Buffy getting a club to the face. Slayer not, ouch. Yeah. But uh, they fight. Buffy gets some good kicks to his face in, and but she can't win. She realizes, she recognizes it, so she pieces. I wish she'd been wearing that dress from the last episode. <laughs> uh, back at the library, the gang splits up to look for Buffy, uh, Willow makes the the good point that it's faster but not safer to split up, <laughs> which you know I'm pretty sure that that same reference is made in every single episode of Scooby Doo, <laughs> especially with like like Gomer Pyle out there with his paddle, like it's don't split up. There's something out there. I loved it. My horror senses were tingling. It was like such a cool cliche horror movie esque Scooby Doo style, and it, I don't know. It made my heart Let's happy. Split up, gang. I yeah, know, see. Xander in his underwear, and now this. She's doing a lot of tingling in this episode. <laughs> yeah, for now. But uh, Cordelia's dressed awfully. She's being dragged to the chess team, protesting. Yeah, she looks like Roseanne, Rosanna Dana from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> and I love just how big Willow smiles with it. She's just so happy that this is happening to Cordelia. <laughs> Maybe this isn't all bad. But uh, I'm surprised, actually, that in this episode, since Buffy expressed a fear of it last episode... That there's no more puppets. 
because Buffy said she was afraid of them or that they gave her the little Wiggins, but there aren't any in this episode. And I thought that could be like, I do. I know they do address some fears. Maybe she overcame her fear in the last episode when she realized the puppet was a good guy. I guess. Uh, Willow hears someone, meanwhile, calling her name. So I bet it's hyenas. Hyenas? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. But uh, she checks the basement boiler room, and someone grabs her. And scene cut. We don't know what happened, but damsel in distress again. Meanwhile, Xander's checking a creepy abandoned hallway that's in pretty poor repair. There's swastikas all over the wall, which he made a Nazi joke earlier, and I felt like those were connected, but... I don't know if they were connected. Swastikas? Yeah, there's two of them. Yeah, there's two of them. One over the right over the uh, the fire alarm switch, <laughs> which is the third Nazi reference in two episodes, and in what are we? Is this the tenth episode of the entire series? <laughs> I have never seen that. Yeah, they were like spray painted on the walls. I think it was like black and yellow or something like that. Yeah, something wow. like that. Uh, so Xander's ignoring all this for a trail of Hansel and Gretel chocolate bars. Ugh, I hate this part. <laughs> it's uh, so gross. He takes one bite of each of them. Yeah, it's, it's at, really nasty. It's, I, who likes chocolate that much? At fir- I do. And at first, <laughs> at first I was like, what is he doing? He's taking one bite of each bar. And then I realized that he's really smart because he's really maximizing his chocolate exposure because each bar is different. If he eats one bar and then gets, you know, kind of full, then that's one bar that's not being sampled. So good on you, Xander. But they are on the ground. What if those tarantulas <laughs> were on them? They're wrapped. Were they wrapped? I think they're already partially. Weren't they partially no. opened? No, no he, he opened no. Oh, Okay. But uh, he's just taking mouthful after mouthful yeah. of chocolate. It's so gross. It, chocolate oh, my, it was It was the best scene of the show so far. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. There's something wrong with you. <laughs> Outside, yeah. Buffy and Joseph Gordon-Levitt are lost on their way to the library, uh, and Billy stops to watch some baseball that they're playing outside in this nightmare hell world. Uh, but he's upset because it's his fault, he feels, that they lost the game because he missed a ball, he should have caught it. And Buffy says, it's not your fault, and he says, well, he says it's my fault. And I don't know about you guys, in this scene, I really got a feeling in that he's sexually Surprising. harassed by like his yeah, father or something. Yeah, there's a creepy pedophile vibe to this episode, and it it it, it kind of persists throughout the whole thing. As I understand, you know, they even when the uh, chick is in the hospital bed, you know, she doesn't quite come out and say that she got beat up, and she kind of doesn't want to say what happened. So it's almost like she was raped as well, and. Just the whole vibe is, is creepy. Yeah, to me. it feels that scene in particular where he says, you know, he says it was my fault. Uh, it feels, yeah, very much like he's, you know, suppressing something. Or, you know, yeah, it feels like something traumatic has happened. I never really, like, caught the whole pedophile reveal, but I can kind of see where you guys are coming from. I felt some sort of abuse, not necessarily sexual, but it definitely, there was some, you know, there's been some sort of abuse going on. Well, yeah, I felt that, but I didn't, like, I don't know, I didn't get any weird sexual feeling. Yeah, Billy changes the subject when Buffy asks who, and they go to leave, but they see the ugly man pummel some random random kid across, like, the way. (laughs) (laughs) They don't, you just, you hear it, and then you see the body. (laughs) Yeah, he just slaps him as he's walking by him. uh, They hide in a bush. To, to find their friends. Well, that's not... They're escaping, but they hide in a bush. 
and they end up in a graveyard. And fun fact, Sarah Michelle Gellar has stated that her real fear, she's actually afraid of graveyards, more, more specifically being buried alive, but graveyards in general. So shooting this show must have been hell for her. Because she is who hangs out in graveyards. Yeah. Uh, and Willow, meanwhile, is being rushed onto stage to perform in front of an ugly crowd. Uh, she's got a kimono on. And... Why do you need to point out that the crowd is unattractive? <laughs> no, not unattractive. Like, they're, <laughs> they're, they're not... Yeah, the worst critics showed up, I know. Yeah, okay. Uh, we find out for the first time that her last name is Rosenberg. But seriously, though, Willow in a kimono. Like, hello. <laughs> Except the makeup was a little... And she's playing... I don't even care. She's, uh, we find out very soon that she's playing the main part, uh, Chocho-san, in Madama Butterfly, which is an Italian opera. Puccini, he's great. And there's a big opera singer singing his part, uh, but she doesn't know the words, and she's terrified. The guy saves it pretty good for, like, an opera when you can't really miss a line. He just keeps going. I don't know how he saves it, but... He does a pretty good save, and the piano player does too. <laughs> it's weird how they mention, uh, you know, they mentioned Avita earlier in this episode, and now they're doing, you know, a little duet from Madame Butterfly, and that is the inspiration for uh, Miss Saigon, which is another musical. <laughs> yeah, we call that Madame Butterfly in America. <laughs> yeah, nerds. <laughs> it's an Italian opera. But Joss Whedon is not one hundred percent straight. And especially if you have seen interviews with him from this time period, seen his haircut, he looks like a lesbian. <laughs> so it's it's only natural that he knows a, a lot about uh, musicals. Right. He's a big so, musical theater guy, too, as I understand in his personal life. Uh, he's written two musicals. Yeah. Not yet. He hasn't. <laughs> uh, Willow squeaks out a note. Actually, going back to that, uh, he actually wrote the music for Lion King 2. What? <laughs> yeah. That, that is that true. Is... So wait, are you guys going to be... No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's that's the most we'll ever talk about Lion King 2 on this podcast. I feel ripped off. This is the Weedinverse <laughs> podcast. Yeah, we should be touching Waterworld, Toy Story, that one line from X-Men 1. He did not do Waterworld. <laughs> he produced Waterworld. Roseanne? Yeah, Roseanne. Four episodes. Final season. Waterworld is like one of the worst movies in history. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, reeling it back in, Xander's pushing through some plastic sheets, uh, construction type sheets. I don't know what they're actually called. No. Plastic. But no. He's looking for more chocolate bars, or as the clairvoyant made the joke when we were watching, he was bar hopping. <laughs> wow. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> guys are so cheesy. And no, he, I, that's a good joke right there. He finds a chocolate hurricane, which he hasn't had since his sixth birthday, and then suddenly he remembers. No, and, which is like the smallest Nestle Crunch chocolate bar. How is that a chocolate hurricane? There is no room in that bar for anything besides chocolate. Yeah, there are no hurricanes going on in there. <laughs> Definitely not. Maybe it swirled the chocolate. He hears a clown laughing. No. And suddenly a scary clown with a knife bursts out of nowhere and chases him. And Shani Dreadful, you have a 
a crippling fear of clowns. I would, if I was Xander, I would have literally just killed myself. I would not be alive. I would have just killed myself. I would have suffocated myself with the plastic sheets. I don't care. I would be gone. It's funny because you also have a fear of being chased. Yeah, so this whole. Oh. How do you feel? How would you feel being chased by a clown? Okay, I can't even get chased, like play chased by my friends without breaking down in tears. Like being chased by a clown, like I said, I would, I would just kill myself. I don't care how. I would shove my head in a toilet. I don't care. I would die. I don't understand that. I, I just, I can't comprehend how somebody is afraid of clowns. They are creepy, and they make me like. The best way I could describe them is. The thought of rape, that's how I feel thinking about clowns or seeing them. They just make me wow. uncomfortable and my skin peel and I cry. It dates back to when she was just a little girl uh, at the circus and a clown killed her father. Oh, thank you. <laughs> when I was little, I did get a really creepy clown balloon once and I cried. That's about all I can remember. But, uh... Yeah, I like how this episode kind of isolates all the characters and shows us their fears separately. Yeah, I think Willow's dream is, uh, her nightmare is the scariest to me. Well, I think this episode, at least, is definitely the scariest one so far this season. Yeah, for sure. In all the seasons. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I would disagree with that. I cannot mm. disagree with that. But, uh, yeah, we, we come back to Buffy and JGL. Uh, coming across an open grave. I'm not going to stop calling him Joseph Gordon-Levitt. But <laughs> they come across an open grave, and the master shows up saying, what's the fun of burying someone who's already dead? And uh, he also tells her she's prettier than the last Slayer, which, oh, he's got a heart. <laughs> yeah, but he, he pops up, and he's he's all full of swagger. He's propped up against the cross there. Yeah. yeah. It's like, like I said, he's a total pimp in this episode. <laughs> and, yeah, he's well, he's free. He's happy. And he tells her that he's free because Buffy's afraid that he would be. And she says, this is just a dream. And he says, a greatest Cinderella reference, a dream is a wish your heart makes. And pushes her down into the grave. Why, like, Spider-Man, Cinderella, like, how does the master even learn these pop culture references? Ross just wants to shove whatever he can, <laughs> reference he can, into the show as he possibly can. I guess he so. was. He was, well, let's, no, he was only underground for 60 years. So he would be aware of Cinderella. I guess. But... He had people coming in and telling him stuff. They probably... <laughs> he's, he's the master. He had them come in and reenact Cinderella for him. <laughs> Dark comes in, master, master. I just saw this wonderful film. <laughs> Actually, that would not have been out by the time he was trapped underground. Because if he was trapped underground in the 30s, Cinderella didn't come out till you know... Snow White was the first animated film. That was the 40s. Okay, nerd. What about Ash Puddle then? Close what? enough. That's a dream is a wish your heart makes isn't in Ash Puddle. <laughs> Hush, little one. But uh, this, more specifically, is Buffy's real fear, or Buffy Sarah Michelle Gellar is real fear being buried alive. The master's trying to bury her in a coffin. And clairvoyant, I think you have something to say about that. Uh, that's that's the most terrifying thing I can possibly think of. I am so claustrophobic, like spelunking and being buried alive are as scary as it gets. And my fears are not addressed in this episode. I have two. One, not so much fear of heights. Everybody I think has got a little bit somewhere inside. And my other fear, I can't, it's such an awkward, weird phobia. It doesn't even have a name, but, uh, shellfish. I don't like crabs, lobsters, crayfish. 
And see, I get made fun of for being afraid of clowns. <laughs> this guy's afraid of a crab. A little hermit crab. Battle I, spiders. I don't know. They're like spiders with armor. And they're cute. <laughs> when I was little, I got pinched in the face by a crawfish. And I think ever since then, it's just What are been... you doing trying to make out with a crawfish? Yeah. Like... <laughs> Deviant. <laughs> we haven't addressed one sick puppy's fear, have we? Yeah, what's your fear? Yeah, what's your fear? Aging, old age, losing my mental faculties. Okay, well, I don't know if that's addressing this. Well, maybe Giles is almost like that, I guess. Yeah, I guess. If we had to, you know... Rationalize it away. Rationalize away. (laughs) I am afraid of dementia. That's a fair fear. I'm glad you approve. Yeah, I wouldn't say... It's only a phobia in the sense that it's not like a real danger at the moment. Because phobias are usually pretty irrational fears. I'd you don't know me, dude. I could lose the, my sh- any second. <laughs> I'd say for the most part, that's a pretty rational fear. Um, but yeah, Willow and Xander meet up. They swap stories. Willow laughs at Xander's story about his sixth birthday before realizing. Uh, she has a moment of realization before the clown cuts through the plastic and chases after them with his knife, giggling away. I thought, I don't think I already said this, but does the clown have Nicholas Brennan's voice? Did he actually do the laugh for the clown? I never Please thought don't that, say that. But that's how his, his laugh kind of sounds, his monkey laugh. <laughs> it, it really does sound like him, if you uh, listen. So we got the cameos by Nicholas Brendan and Vincent D'Onofrio playing our villains. <laughs> or was it his brother? Hey. Because they probably got a stuntman to do the clown because the clown's not credited on IMDb. So it could have been his brother doing it. It very well could have been. His twin brother, by the way, there's two of them, Shannon. I would take them both down so hard. They look, well, they're identical. and they, they do make use of this in a later episode, which we'll talk about when we get there. They make use of it quite often, actually, considering really? I'm pretty sure Kelly Donovan is actually Nicholas Brendan's stunt double. Yeah, that's why I'm saying they, they probably used a stunt guy to do the clown thing. So I wonder if, if he did the uh, dialogue as well. Huh. It's possible. But uh, they run into Giles, and they drag him along. He stops to talk to them, but they're like, nope, nope, nope. And he lets out a little shriek, which made me laugh. (laughs) And uh, so Xander decides to turn back, face his fear, and sock the clown in the face. (laughs) You're a lousy clown, your balloon animals are pathetic, and everyone can make a giraffe. (laughs) I would have never been able to do that. And yeah, he faces fear, so that's awesome. He's the only person in this episode that has really done that. We gotta get you some immersion <laughs> therapy. I think we're taking Shanny to the circus. No, I no, don't say that. I'm gonna. Cry. We're gonna get you some diapers and take you to the circus <laughs> and get this settled. No, never. But uh, the whole city, it seems, is overrun with people and their fears. It's a mess. Uh, and they looked across the street and said, "Why don't they put a cemetery in across the street?" And when did they make it night? And we see it's some cheesy CGI. It's like a different portal. A portal across the street that leads to a little cemetery hovering in space. Yeah, how much money do they spend on that? I there was there's been worse CGI, so I didn't even make note of it. It wasn't good, but there's been much worse this season yeah. already. <laughs> and Giles recognizes that once they go to the graveyard, they're in his nightmare. And they end up at Buffy's grave, which is really sad. Like really sad to me. Yeah. And we see her birth year is nineteen eighty one, which <laughs> We've seen, this is the third birth year that we've seen for her. Fourth birthday, third birth year, and it's uh, it's the correct one, according to Jaws. But 
I robot you, Jane. We saw a couple other birthdays, and they were all wrong. Yeah, which makes her sixteen and makes me a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> me too. But what I was wondering is Giles assumes it's his nightmare, but how do we know this isn't just a continuation of Buffy's nightmare of being buried alive? I think it's a joint thing. I think it's They're partially interwoven. both of their interwoven nightmares. This happened to work out that way. I guess. But Giles gives a sad speech to Buffy's grave and apologizes to her, and that's just so touching. That's really sad. And but a hand comes out and grabs him, and Buffy is a vamp. And this is the first and only time where Sarah Michelle Gellar's in vamp face. Sorry to spoil it, Buffy doesn't become a vampire. <laughs> Buffy the vampire. But... It makes me wonder, uh, when I see her in this episode, why don't vampires have eyebrows? You know, I never... Well, I have Maybe thought they about do it before, under but... their overhanging brows. They have eyelashes. It would look so ridiculous. Can you imagine, like, I'm going to draw you a picture. Like, I'll, like, Photoshop it with eyebrows, and it'll just look dumb. Yeah, that would look really bad now that I think about it. But I wonder what happens to the eyebrows. We'll have to go back to, like, scenes where, like, Darla or Angel changes into vamp face and see what happened. Do they retract in? Their brow becomes overhanging and, like, hangs down over, like, almost it over droops. their eyes. Basically, they have droopy foreheads that cover their eyebrows. Wow. I bet That's... you could lift up their forehead and see their eyebrows. <laughs> Droopy foreheads. I just I don't even want to watch the show anymore. You guys are ruining it. <laughs> so, um, but now Buffy and Angel can do the thing, and it's all chill because they're both vampires. I know that uh, Willow later in this episode asked Xander, but I'm going to ask one sick puppy this: uh, You still attracted to her with the vamp face? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Does it make it better or worse? Uh, I'd say worse. But, you know, she's got the fangs, so <laughs> I'm all about it. <laughs> but uh, at least as a vampire, Buffy is a still a good guy. And Giles tells Buffy his plan to wake Billy, which, you know, who would have thought? And Buffy says that she can hold together as a vampire long enough, which I don't know if that's a Slayer thing, that, you know, that you really have to work at it to not crave blood, or if that's just all vampires, if they really tried, could just be functioning members of society. <laughs> and she has Well, really she only has to hold on for a little while. It's not like she's going forever. Yeah. She hasn't mastered the whole not always being in vamp face thing. Yeah. Because most vampires tend to prefer human face except for the uh, annoying cult. And she is just always in vamp face. Maybe I hit home the fact that she's a vampire now. Yeah, and she's a pro talking with the Fang prosthetics. <laughs> yeah, I made note of that. I think Shani Dreadful commented that she may have actually been dubbing her lines in over afterwards. That's what I thought in the one scene, just because there was one word that slightly didn't match up with what her mouth was doing, and I was like, there's no way. She had a tongue there, and she couldn't have said that <laughs> with a tongue there. <laughs> but she's an absolute, yeah, she's a pro at, like, not slurring over those fangs like every other vamp does in the series to this point. Well, it's basically impossible not to. Yeah. Well, actually, I noticed even in this episode, the master did a lot better as well. So maybe they just improved the fangs or pr improved the prosthetics. Yeah. Uh, or as one sick puppy had mentioned earlier, maybe they filmed this episode later down the line and they all got more used to it. That's also possible, but that wouldn't explain Sarah. I guess. But uh, Willow says, how do we wake Billy? What if we can't? And Giles is the great line, Willow, do shut up. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. Uh, it makes you wonder, though. I was, I literally just thought of this like 30 seconds ago. When people are in comas, you know, 
if they want to wake him up, they could do the adrenaline to the heart thing. So it makes me wonder, like, if you, do they try that on all coma patients? Like, do know. they all get an adrenaline shot to the heart? Isn't adrenaline to the heart a uh, total myth that was started by Pulp Fiction? No. No. Not at all. All right. I'll take your word for it. But, uh, yeah, the hospital's going to hell. The doctor's hands are messed up, which must be his worst fear. Freddy Krueger That's hands. a really cool piece of writing right there, I thought. Yeah, it's just so, like, small. And a character we saw for, like, one second. Yeah. Yeah, he's Stephen strange But uh, they try and wake real Billy, but Asteroid Billy is telling them that it won't work. Uh, that he you won't wake just up. Shake someone out of a car. Right. <laughs> but he says he won't wake up. He refuses because he's hiding from the ugly man. And ugly man's coming down the hall. So Buffy quickly thinks of a plan. And outside, they look out the window and stuff is wild. There's flying ants with stingers <laughs> or black wasps. Jumanji. How could you? I was going to say that. I know. You know what I thought would have been really funny when I saw the wasps outside was it would have been hilarious if they were flying shrimp. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I have to say this, though. Yeah. Both Um, wrote in our notes that this scene resembled Jumanji, and we argued for a good while over who was going to say that first. And I was going to say it first, but you did, and it's not fair. Yeah, discussing this before the episode, they had decided... Who was going to say the Jumanji joke? <laughs> I was actually planning on saying it at the very start of the episode, out of context, but I forgot. And then I remembered, but I still won. But uh, this, is what, this scene's actually where I noticed that the ugly man's hand's a club. I didn't notice this previously, that I thought he was holding something. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Observant. <laughs> it wasn't my focus. But uh, Buffy beats him up, and his face is all burnt up, and she breaks his arm off and knocks him unconscious. Billy asks if he's dead, but Buffy makes him come there. And in Buffy's plan, I like how her plan is, let's just beat him up. (laughs) I thought it was like a smarter plan than that. Because she's tried to beat him up in the past. But she's got more to it because she gets Billy there. And uh, tells him, you have to do the rest. No more hiding. Uh, And the rest of the gang kind of figures out what's happening. And Billy rips the ugly man's face off. Yeah, that's really nasty foley right there. (laughs) Because the sound yeah. when his face comes off is just disgusting. Paper. But uh, the world's back to normal suddenly since Billy faces fear and he wakes up. And he makes a Wizard of Oz reference, which happens anytime somebody wakes up after a big, long, tense battle. <laughs> I thought of you, one sick puppy, when there was a Wizard yeah. of Oz reference. Now, I, when I was a kid, I watched Wizard of Oz so much I wore out the tape. But so this one, I was like, yes. But he says, I had the strangest dream. And you were in it, and you were in it. Who are you people? <laughs> you know, you guys don't even know. When I was a kid, you know, I'm 40 years old. And when I was a kid, you couldn't get Wizard of Oz on a videotape. It came on once a year. And that was the only time you could stay up late to watch the Wizard of Oz, and you could stay up late to watch the Jerry Lewis telethon. But, <laughs> like, once a year on CBS, the Wizard of Oz would play. And you couldn't go to the video store and rent it. It didn't come out until... You guys came along on tape. We came along on tape. <laughs> until It didn't come out on tape until you guys came along. <laughs> yeah, no, I got that. But uh, Billy's coach shows up and calls him Lucky 19, and Buffy's pissed. Cause she figured yeah, and we still out. got that pedophile vibe going on. Yeah, and she I didn't get that. the coach of blaming Billy for losing the game, uh, so he caught up with them after, and it's implied that he beat the hell out of a 12-year-old boy. They never all try to say it, and that's so messed up. 
I don't even know what else to say. Like, what kind of coach blames a kid for losing the game and beats him up? Yeah, that's dark. He's obviously got anger issues. He, he doesn't seem like it in the scene, but yeah, it's you know, I mean, they from what you the the brief little snippet of information you get about this character, yeah, it's clear that that's his vice. Right, and it's obvious that the coach is the ugly man. And yeah, Billy confirms this, and when the coach tries to run, Xander and Giles stop him. And he repeats what Buffy told him in an earlier scene, that it wasn't his fault. There was nine other players on the team. And uh, eight. Eight, eight other players. Yeah, nine players total. I miss, I put the total in there. And uh, <laughs> I noticed in the scene that Xander's actually got his old outfit back. So everything is back to normal. And where were his clothes, I wonder, when they disappear? With <laughs> me. Folded back up at home. <laughs> so Buffy's dad shows up. He's a way different guy, but I still I still found I had like a bad feeling about him just from how he was before. I felt like does does he remember doing that? Like how far does this go? Does the master remember being on the surface? I don't know if those are real though. Yeah, but when other things happen to other people, they appear to be real. But you know, I, I don't know. It's hard to say what's real and what's not. Maybe this is just affecting like Sunnydale and the surface of Sunnydale. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, her dad wouldn't have been there yet, actually. So I think he was a construct. The master was actually there. So that probably would have been real. But then is the master having his own nightmares down under Sunnydale? But uh, he's probably frustrated if he's back down underneath now. <laughs> but, yeah, Willow asks a personal question. When Buffy was a vampire, you weren't still attracted to her, were you? And he says, that's grotesque. And then, I'm sick, I need help. <laughs> and that's the end of the episode. I noticed at the, you know, when they were doing the Reservoir Dogs walk at the end of the episode, they wear a lot of layers for California. They Everybody's got long sleeves and everybody's wearing a shirt on top of a, another shirt or a jacket. And, you know, yeah. isn't it hot in California? Yeah, it's, and it's weird because it also was filmed in California, I'm pretty sure. Yep. So, you know, they were actually wearing those layers. But and nobody sweats. <laughs> They're used to it. But uh, two lines were cut in this episode. One was Xander saying, despite the rat-like chill that crawled up my spine, I'm going to say this very calmly. Help. And I'm not sure where that fit in, so I put it at the end. And the other line was when a sequence where Jaws asked Buffy if she's been sleeping well. But uh, I find this episode was actually pretty creepy and pretty dark. I, I really enjoyed it quite a bit. I don't know about you guys. I would have liked it more if there were less clowns. <laughs> Which is, I'm pretty sure, why you guys wanted me on this episode in the it first is. place. Yes, yeah. it is. Uh, and there was no actually real on-screen deaths this episode at all. You know, they were all reversed after the Dream World. So this is the second episode in the whole series with not a single death. Which, you know, you don't need deaths, but... <laughs> Joss. I feel it was very... It lacked Angel. Yeah, he wasn't in this episode either. He wasn't in the last episode. Or the one before that. Yeah. Or any episode I'm ever on, because I don't get vampires in my episodes. I guess not, no. <laughs> guys are ripping the guy off here. There was a vampire Buffy in this one, and the Master, and Colin. <laughs> Actually, yeah. jury's out on I whether the, Colin's There was a the vampire. Master. Right. I think Colin's a vampire, but I don't know if they ever like, address that fact. I don't think they have, really. He never vamps out. No. But uh, I think it's time for our stakes rating. And we'll start with our guests. Uh, how we usually do it, I'm sure you know. Five stakes. Uh, you give it a rating out of five. So, Shani Dreadful, 
what out of five stakes, what would you give this episode? I would give this episode maybe two stakes out of five. Two stakes, okay. And why would that be? It was, no, it was just, it was kind of boring and cliche. (laughs) Like, I didn't mind it. Like, it was like, there were freaky parts, but I just, it didn't further anything. It just felt like a filler episode, more or less. Right, okay. And uh, one sick puppy, how about you? I'm going to stick with my three. It seems to be pretty consistent so far. But uh, I like the episode. It's got some good stuff in it. Uh, I like the fact that there's lots of clowns. And, uh, <laughs> you know. Thanks. But it's got some nice little flourishes to it. And the stuff like with the uh, the doctor's hands and, you know, just the little touches that they put in this episode. I feel like there's a lot of those. So if... Uh, it's not it's not quite for material, but it is definitely a nice one. And yeah, I gave this episode a three point five out of five stakes. I really enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, you know, one of the higher rated episodes for me, uh, but I thought it was pretty scary. You know, as far as Buffy episodes go, it had some real horror. You know, it, you know, not just crazy intense, but you know, TV budget, and I thought it was just a cool plot, nothing original, but. I really like where they went with it. So I gave it 3.5 out of 5 stakes. 3.5. I personally found absolutely nothing even kind of scary about this episode. Um, I thought, you know, the the whole idea of the dreams was kind of cool and kind of, you know, I mean, I hesitate to use this word on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but kind of gimmicky. And... I thought overall it was just an average episode. There's nothing really special to me that stood out in this episode. You know, it was a, the master. The master is special in this the episode. The master was great in this episode. He did he did uh, bring some joy into my life. But I would give this a fairly standard 2.5 out of 5 stakes. That is lower than you gave I Robot Eugene. That is absolutely correct. Are you okay? I just like cool robots. I know a cool robot when I see it, and I didn't see it this week. <laughs> well, it's not cool. Well, thank you very much <laughs> for joining us, One Sick Puppy and Shandy Dreadful, both from the Dead as All Horror Podcast. Why don't you, you know, I know we've talked about it a couple weeks ago, but tell us again why we should listen to you. What's what's going on there over at Dead as All? Well, we've got a dead chick co-hosting. <laughs> yeah, so, like, hello. Yes, and we're going to be auctioning off parts of her as they fall off. That's going to be kind of cool. We're looking forward to that. Yeah, we're going to start with my left foot first. Excellent. So uh, check for that on our eBay page. Uh, <laughs> we'll have links to that on deadashellhp.com. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter at deadashellhp. We uh, take a look at uh, horror movies. We've got uh, DK Ryan over there doing horror fiction. We do comic books. uh trying to work in anime and who knows what else we're going to have. So, uh, it's a good time. Seriously. Everything horror all the time. That sums up Shannon dreadful. Except for clowns because we're not allowed to do clowns because the dead chick freaks out. I will still do clowns, but I'll probably have a mental breakdown during it. (laughs) (laughs) But it looks like our average for this episode is three out of five sticks. Weedenverse podcast rating three out of five stakes. Join us next episode where we'll discuss Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 1, Episode 11, Out of Mind, Out of Sight, with special guest Frank A. Rincon from Half Hour Wasted, and Episode 12, Prophecy Girl, 
as well as a special bonus episode of Whedonverse Podcast, where we interview a surprise guest, a Whedonverse actor. wait until next week in the meantime check out jersey sure a new jersey-based geek pop culture podcast on hhwlod.com all programs productions characters music and stories discussed in this non-profit podcast belong to joss whedon and or their respective networks all music clips and discussion used is either original royalty free or released under creative commons designation cc by NCSA. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>